listening to The Cannabis Agenda, your weekly source for cannabis-related news and informed discussion. We podcast every week covering topics related to cannabis legalization, medical marijuana, and market information. As always, you can follow online with us at CannabisAgenda.com. And now, your hosts, Jamie Cass and Pot Green. Ooh. Dude, Funky Town. That's the first time I've danced <laughs> no. to the intro in a while. A little funky groove yeah. there, Cogs. You like that? Hells well, to the yeah. yeah. Huh? We got uh-huh. the new and intro rolling. Man, it's a, it's a world of newness today, man. This is a Cannabis great day. agenda. Take 50. Take 50. Number 50. Oh, wow. Um, yo, yo. That's some serious stuff, man. Did you think we'd ever make it here, guys? 50? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah, I'm waiting for that party on 420. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. You, you, you're already, you're already counting down to episode 420. Um, only 370 left. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. That's right. Hogs. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for changing the intro. That was funky. <laughs> it's about time, right? <laughs> We've been wanting to change the episode, the intro since like episode number four. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Pretty Something much, like that, yeah. isn't that, mm-hmm. yeah. isn't that yeah. true? Something, if we went yeah. back, we talked about it pretty early. We we're like, "Oh, we can't abide to the rules." It wasn't the no, it wasn't the song or whatever. It was the rules that we or the the right. The it's not every Monday, and it's not uh, one hour, and uh, yeah, right. Yeah, There's a lot of inconsistencies yeah. in there. So Lots, we got new on this. Yes, yes. So i would this is a, a time for us to stop and and, and pay our uh, respect and thanks and gratefulness gratitude to you matt for revamping the website and oh, yeah. give our new intro um thank you so much um check it out everybody you can uh, go to www.cannabisagenda.com where Cogs has totally revamped the website. Lots it's of new stuff. Brand you wanna, new. You want to tell them about it? Is there anything you'd want to want to tell them about it? Oh, uh, we've got a little uh, like a store feature, and um, where you can buy uh, books and random things like that. And we're gonna have a forum coming along line real soon, uh, where people can chat and discuss things. Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, hey, oh, yeah. you can buy books. So listen to this, people. You can buy, you can go through Cannabis Agenda, then to Amazon, buy your, if you purchase books on Amazon, then we will get 4%, right? Yeah, that's right. Towards the Cannabis Agenda. Uh Uh-huh. And so you could be the first person to help us make any money at all, (laughs) (laughs) just by buying a book. And actually, later in this episode, we're going to have Mason Tavert on who is uh, the author of the book, Marijuana is Safer, So Why Are We Driving People to Drink? It's been a recommended reading of ours probably since episode number one or two. And uh, you guys should check it out. If you do not own it, this would be a good opportunity for you to go through the Cannabis Agenda website to Amazon and purchase the book and help us out. So this is a new new feature, and we're really excited about it. Matt, we're really excited about everything that you're doing as far as uh, virtual God work. So Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm shit. Impressed. I'm really excited about the work you guys are doing, too. <laughs> Sweet. What kind of work do we do, Jamie? What do we do? What kind of work do we do here? We do some news deconstruction. I love to refer to it as activistainment. 
And uh, we try to get the word out and get people motivated in a positive way, talk about some serious issues, cut through the fat, and hopefully make somebody grin or laugh or, you know, enjoy themselves a little bit in the course of, of, of our activities. Activities. Mm-hmm. And we've, uh, we've been doing this for 50 shows now. Um, mm-hmm. Our motto is, hey, it's organic to any of our new listeners. Our old listeners have definitely heard this before. Uh, we have changed it around a bunch of times. But over the last like 10 episodes, our format has really started coming together. We've, uh, we've been able to get the shows a little bit shorter, probably to keep the, attentions, to keep the attention of more people. Um, we've been working on that hard. Our organization system's changed a lot. Um, our segments have gotten much more firm. Um, and uh, we're, everything is really flowing good. I'm feeling really good about the show coming into episode number 50. Um, and we, we appreciate all of you out there who are doing everything to help us learn what we want to do. We're getting scoops from people like crazy. We're getting, we're getting criticism and tons of questions that we're going to try to get to all the time for you guys related to cannabis. And we really, really appreciate the participation. We appreciate everybody who's following us on Facebook, everybody who has left comments for us on, on uh, our reviews for us on iTunes. There's a lot of them on there now. Um, we're just very, very grateful for uh, where this is all going and uh, it takes you guys. So um, thank you for being here. Thank you for checking out our show. Um, mm-hmm. What do we have on the show today? Oh man, I'm excited as this can be. This is show number 50. We're celebrating. We got a good uh, couple of, of special treats for you today. Um, namely, the uh, the the founder of Safer is going to be with us. We're going to do an ex- uh, hopefully a, a pretty decent uh, interview with him, Mr. Mason Tavert. We're glad to have him on the program today. Uh, we got tons, a tons of uh, questions and comments from our listeners. Goodness gracious, keep those coming. We love to hear from you guys. Uh, we'll get to as many of those as we can. Um, um, let me see. We're going to go over to California, talk about a little bit of an issue with the cannabis delivery service. That should be interesting. Um, got a story from a couple stories from Rocky Mountain High segment today going down to Maricopa County Sheriff uh, Joe Arpaio down there in the southwest causing some problems potentially for medical marijuana users we'll see how that plays out Uh, some stories today from international insanity Um, Canada uh, maybe not so pot liberal as you think when it comes to the laws Um, an American over in Egypt you've heard a lot of stuff going on in Egypt this guy's got his whole you know, own private version of Egyptian hell going on. Um, we'll explain what we mean by that as well. Um, we have an interview with a uh, criminal justice professor, Ray Gilliam's going to come on from the university of Illinois and he's going to help us to try to get a little bit clearer insight into, uh, why so many police officers see so much going on with cannabis and never speak up about the laws. And, and so many of them are so hostile to change in the criminal justice system. Um, see what he's got to tell us pot in the Pacific Northwest. Got a couple clips for you. Um, should be interesting. Michigan marijuana as well. The judge ruled in favor of Walmart in the Cassius case. If you don't remember who that was, that's the guy with the brain uh, brain cancer that worked at Walmart, the employee of the year that they fired for having cannabis in his system. Oh, just disgusting. We'll talk about that a little more extensively. Some more uh, legislation filed in Illinois. In the East Coast scoop, we got some stuff going on in Rhode Island. Some really, really good news and some really, really not so good news as well. Topics worth barely of our time. We're going to check out on that note tonight with a great viral clip, the latest in viral cannabis media. A little thing from Family Feud. I'm sure you're uh, familiar with that and we're going to leave the show a clip 
clip at the end of the show with uh, marijuana versus crystal meth on our brand new outro. So we have a new intro and a new outro. It should be a good show. Sounds like we've got a pretty good 50th episode for you guys. Cannabis Agenda, take 50. Um, so like I say, we really appreciate all the participation we've had, but we're going to keep pushing to keep you guys involved. So let us know how we're doing. Comments, questions, criticism, whatever you've got. If you've got scoops, you know of any potential interviews, especially international stories, Please, please, please send them in to us. Uh, you can follow along our revamped new website, www.cannabisagenda.com. There, there's all sorts of things you can do to participate. Um, our, our show notes are there so that you can link to any of the stories that we're covering directly from, from the show notes. You can play the, the um, podcast right there on, on the cannabisagenda.com website if you want to. Um, last week... We ran our first segment of a new of of a new segment called the Booze News. Uh, last week, I believe we called it the Booze Buzz News, but we're probably just going to go with Booze News. And if you have any better ideas for for segue names, you can always send those in too. But for the Booze News, we're kind of having trouble finding the stories we want for this. I'm sure a lot of you guys run across random, really stupid drunk people stories or stories related mm-hmm. to. Please send them in if you can, or if you find any links where we can find, you know, easily uh, aggregate cool stories, please send those to us as well for the booze news. Our email is uh, info at cannabisagenda.com. You can always call and leave a voicemail, 707-654-CAN, C-A-N-N, which are the numbers 2266. Um, We will listen to those, and sometimes we'll play them on the air for you, too. Uh, you can always check us out on iTunes. Real easy way to, to keep, uh, keep up to date on podcasts uh, if you subscribe to us on there. Um, it's, it uh, will automatically download into your player and uh, be available for you um, when it's ready. Um, also, if you're following along on, on iTunes, uh, we appreciate if you'd leave some reviews. There's a bunch on there now. We're very grateful for everyone that has been leaving them for us. Uh, we're also on social networks. We're on Twitter and Facebook. Um, so please follow along on there if you use either one of those. Uh, you can search for Cannabis Agenda. And please recommend us to your friends. Um, What's the deal with Zoom? We're asking about Zoom today. What is Zoom? Oh, yeah. We're just wondering if any of our listeners use, like, you know, the Microsoft Zoom player. Because I guess, um, you know, we're listed in the iTunes store, but I went to the Zoom store and I can't find the Cannabis Agenda in it anywhere. So mm-hmm. I tried to add it as a listing, but you needed a Zoom account and I couldn't figure out how to register for a Zoom account. So if any listeners out there are so inclined or actually use a Zoom or would like to see it in the Zoom store and have a Zoom account, maybe they could submit it and we can, we'd be happy to tell you how, if you can get a hold of us. All right. All right. Yes. So let us know about Zoom. Dude, we got a bunch of communications this week, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Trucker Bill called and emailed. Um, you have lots of questions, man. We really, really appreciate uh uh, one, the encouragement for what we're doing, um, and two, all the questions that you have. Uh, specifically, we got to the beginning of it. Uh, we'd like to look into it more, but we've talked about your analysis and hair testing some in the past, the workplace. We will get to your questions um, as soon as possible related to that. Um, so, uh, you know, but, you know, the way I go about it is I just, I, I boycott employers that drug test, but obviously not everyone can do that but uh we'll uh get to uh we'll get to your questions next week we also uh got an email from tonga ninja in new zealand giving respect to bob marley on his birthday 
and uh, he scooped a, a story for us, a Reefer Madness Media story. Um, and we will uh, get to that sometime in the future, Tonga Ninja. We appreciate it, buddy. And I'm glad you like your Iolite. Uh, Sean sent in a grip of good questions, and we'll get to those as soon as possible. Shakedown emailed us another scoop mm-hmm. uh, that will eventually go into our You've Got to Be Kidding Me segment. Um, so uh, thank you, guys. We just want to mention you and thanking you at the top of the show always uh, for what you do. We, um, we will not always be able to get to every story first thing, same show sort of thing anymore. The amount of uh, questions and stories we're getting is is increasing, but we that we have them in our new organization system, and we will get to them, and we'll try our best to email you to let you know which specific episodes we're talking about issues or questions that you uh, send in to us. So mm-hmm. um, thank you guys for your participation. Keep it up. Oh, thanks for the scoops. It's great to get all these scoops, isn't it? Don't you guys like the mm-hmm. fact that we're start, starting to get lots of scoops from, from listeners and stuff? I think oh, yeah. it's... Yeah. yeah, I just I, love hearing from listeners in any any way, shape, or form. It's pretty awesome to me. Sure, and when we have a forum on the website, I think that's going to be a good way for us to follow the curb, the curve, not curb, <laughs> and uh, and kind of find out what it is that people are talking about and what's you know sparking their interest and whatnot. So that'll be a very good uh, way to to keep in touch. Um, yeah, like I was mentioning, we're trying really working hard to keep the show under two hours. So um, we uh, it's we got a new system in place, and um, let us know what you think of it. Um, one more announcement before we get into uh, today's show: um, if you happen to be a cannabis dispensary in the state of California, holla at your boy! Come on. <laughs> Hook up with us. Link up. Link up, brada. And, uh, or sister. And uh, link uh, up with the Cannabis Agenda. And um, let's talk. Because, uh, yeah. Because you've got a dispensary in California. And that makes you cool. So hit us up here at the Cannabis Agenda. We'd love to have a dialogue with you. All right, all right, all right, everybody. We're going to go straight into an interview today. Um, a big one for us. We've been... Uh, We've been uh, recommending his book and talking about the philosophy in the book, Marijuana is Safer, So Why Are We Driving People to, to Drink? Today we are going to have, we got Mason, do we have Mason, Mason on the line? It looks like we got Mason Tavert on the line, everybody. Jamie, could you uh, tell us about Mason? Sure thing. Uh, well, he uh, co-founded Safer in 2005 in the Safer Voter Education Fund in 2006. He's responsible for the day-to-day operations of the organization, which is a lot of stuff, including uh, strategic planning, media relations, lobbying, fundraising, and and, and their website says other assorted mayhem. I like that part. Um, Mason currently sits on the boards of Safer and the Safer Voter Education Fund, as well as on the Denver Marijuana Policy Review Panel appointed by Mayor John Hickenlooper. He's co-author of the fantastic book, Marijuana is Safer, So Why Are We driving people to drink. We'd like to welcome to the program, Mr. Mason Tvert. Hey, Mason, we love your book and your organization. We've been uh, covering it basically since the start of the show. So not, today is our 50th episode, actually. And um, yeah, we've, we've had you on our recommended reading list uh, pretty much since really early on in the show. So uh, we appreciate the work that you've, uh, you've, you've put into this cause. Um, so, hey, I got a question for you real quick about your name. Are we butchering it? Is, how, how's it, is it pronounced Tavert? <laughs> uh, yeah, Tavert. That's exactly right. What, what, eth- what, the, what ethnicity is that? 
Where's that? Where's that? Where do you? Uh, ultimately, it might be like Lithuanian, somewhere, somewhere Russian related. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. So, hey, where are you from? Where are you from, Mason? Originally, I'm from uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay. New uh, Richmond, Virginia. Before moving uh-huh. here to Denver. Okay. How long have you been in Denver now? Uh, about six, going on seven years. Yeah, is it is it uh, is it your home now? Is that is, are you you absolutely in uh, love with Colorado? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. There's, I don't see any need to ever leave. Cool. Did uh, did um, did you move there because of Colorado, or was it partially because of Colorado and what was going on with the cause that you had interest in? Uh, well, yeah, I, I basically had just finished college and was looking to start a career somewhere. I had done some election work uh, in the me- medical marijuana advocacy realm during the 2004 election cycle, and um, an opportunity arose to basically get a new organization started and start doing something different out in Colorado, and I decided that that would be a nice place to relocate and start my post-college life. Was, uh, is that, what, what was the inspiration, basically, for, um, for your organization and your book? Um, well, yeah, yeah. There, there's really up until we got started, there really was never a concerted effort to educate people about marijuana itself, as opposed to highlighting the problems with marijuana prohibition. So when it came to advocating for legalization and trying to pass laws and, and change laws, um, the arguments had really focused always on how to waste law enforcement resources or we could generate tax revenue and so on, but there really was not enough discussion going on about the nature of marijuana itself, particularly how relatively safe it is compared to substances like alcohol that we all accept should be legal. So uh, we really wanted to do an experiment to see whether focusing on that would have a positive impact. And, and here, seven years later, after multiple successful ballot initiatives in Colorado now looking to be the first state in the country that uh, makes marijuana legal at the state level, it uh, seems like things have gone pretty well. They have. So you're pleased with the growth of your message and your movement then at this point? You happy with how fast it's uh, kind of grown? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, things have really um, gone gone well in Colorado. We've seen um, localities, you know, approving these types of legalization measures. Obviously, medical marijuana has really taken off over the last few years, although it's been around since 2000. It wasn't until the last few years that we really saw the boom in uh, the industry, the dispensaries and the product manufacturers and so on. And now we're at a point here in Colorado where there is a, essentially a marijuana store on every corner, and it's really just not a, a big problem. No one seems to right. mind, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, expand upon that and, and see a system where all adults are allowed to use marijuana without fearing punishment. Sure. Uh, I was going to ask you, actually, at, at this point, like how you feel, what do you think is going to be, be the situation five years from now in Colorado? Do you, what, what all do you think will change? What do you foresee? Um, well, I, I think that we will basically have a system very similar to the one that we have right now for medical marijuana, where we have a state-regulated system of, of retail stores and state-regulated production, and um, I think that it'll really lighten up in terms of a lot of the heavy-handed regulations right now. Uh, we do have a state-regulated a state regulated system. There's a few very, very uh, extreme and, and 
really ridiculous uh, uh, measures in place, and they're all in place to basically prevent marijuana from going from the medical into the black market. So once we basically end that black market, there really won't be a need for a lot of these silly regulations and rules, and we'll likely just see a system where, much like with alcohol, you can get a license to be a manufacturer or producer, get a license to be a retailer, get a license to produce products using it, or get a license to test it, and it'll be available uh, for adults who are of age to purchase it based on whatever law gets passed. And it'll just really become part of the culture, which it already has in in so many ways. Sure, sure. Hey, I've got a question about one of the uh, regulations I kind of find ridiculous uh, currently in Colorado. It's about the the regulation where they're trying to require dispensaries to grow certain percentages of their own product. Isn't there like 70%, right, is what they're supposed to do or something like that? Yeah, right now there's a 70-30 rule. So uh, right now medical marijuana centers need to produce 70% of all the products that they provide which is incredibly ridiculous. It's like saying Whole Foods or a grocery store needs to, you know, grow 70% of the vegetables they sell. You know, it's, it's silly. That's not what they're supposed to necessarily be doing. Um, but, you know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of folks within the industry have adapted to that. I mean, there is still a lot of, uh, of wholesale and trading that takes place within that 30% that people have available, uh, which helps ensure there's variety, uh, people can trade with each other, sell to each other, and um, ensure that each medical marijuana center has what the patients in the, those areas need. But uh, hopefully that's a, that's the kind of rule that we would see fade off as it becomes less necessary. Yeah, it just seems, it seems unfair. It seems like one of those regulations, it's like a pot industry only regulation, um, you're basically requiring people that want to be retailers to become manufacturers too. And I don't know, it just seems, exactly. it's, it's always seemed counterintuitive to me. Um, hey, we've also on the show in the past discussed, uh, recommendations a lot. Um, how do you feel about medical cannabis recommendations? Are they important? Should they be really easy to get or should they be more stringent and more difficult to get? Should you have to see your doctor several times or should it be, you're in and out, boom, you get your recommendation. What do you, what do you feel, feel about recommendations? Um, well, I, you know, I think that um, if the law says a licensed physician can recommend someone marijuana, I don't think they should have to see him several times. I mean, if I break my foot tomorrow and I see a doctor for the first time, I certainly expect them to give me a, a prescription for whatever medication I need at the time and not to say, well, you know, it's nice to meet you. In six months, I'll be happy to write your prescription for what you needed now. It's it's silly, and um, you know this raises a lot of questions of what's defined as as a medical need or not. And obviously, every state with medical marijuana laws, they decide what conditions are should be covered. And uh, in California, there's mental health conditions like like um, anxiety and depression. And in Colorado, the largest category would be chronic pain. And mm-hmm. it's really no one's business but uh, a patient and a doctor's own to decide who would benefit from using marijuana. And if uh, a physician agrees that someone would and it's within their legal right to recommend it, I don't see any problem with that. And I I don't see any problem with the person uh, going out and and using marijuana for for medical reasons without fear of punishment. So ultimately, do you think marijuana is more of like a over-the-counter, or if you, have to, if you have to think about it in this way, is it closer to an over-the-counter drug, or should it be closer to a prescription drug? 
Um, I, I think it, it, excuse me, I think it can be both. Obviously, it's something that a lot of people might want to simply use recreationally. It, it helps them relax. It helps them relieve stress. Uh, it's a way of, of celebrating or, or enjoying something more, whether it's, a, you know, hanging out with a group of friends or going to a concert or seeing a movie or whatever it might be. It's much like alcohol, simply something that we use and we enjoy using and shouldn't be criminalized for using. Uh, in terms of it as a medicine, um, I'd probably have to, you know, go towards the Lester Grinspoon, uh, the, the Harvard professor who's been one of the foremost researchers on marijuana. He described marijuana as something similar to aspirin, which can help everyday ailments and be used uh, much like an over-the-counter drug, but can also be used to stave off a heart attack or used for very significant medical purposes uh, if need be and, and if done under the care of a physician. So I, I see it being used in both ways. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, are you a patient? I'm not. You're not a patient. Okay. Um, and, uh, do, uh, do you, uh, drink at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't drink like, very much. I mean, I, I like, uh, I enjoy having uh, a few beers from time to time, uh, particularly when going out to concerts or going to a happy hour or some sort of reception or whatever it might be. I mean, like most people, I mean, I certainly enjoy it and don't think it's any problem. And sure. I think, uh, you know, because our organization highlights the, the safety of marijuana compared to alcohol, we're not in any way against alcohol. In fact, I mean, our, really, we think that all adults should have the right to use alcohol responsibly. And we're simply saying that adults should also be able to have the right to use a less harmful substance as well. Sure, sure, sure. And pointing out a lot of the, the problems with, with booze. I mean, even though, I mean, that's how we feel. Like we, we use alcohol, I use alcohol sparingly and have abused it past and um, have seen a lot of really stupid stuff while around booze and whatnot. Um, but the same, same thing. We, you know, we use it, we believe that it should be legal. Um, and, uh, but, but marijuana just, I mean, you know, like it's today, what are we going to do? We're going to get trash before we do the show or maybe be able to smoke a little pot. It's like a, for me, it's, it's the, it's a, the rational thing is to smoke pot in comparison. And that's why your guys' book has uh, been so influential for, for me anyway, like, um, to, to look at, um, to look at the, the whole discussion about cannabis from that viewpoint and comparing it to something that is so normal in society, um, it really has a, um, a big effect um, on, the, on the, the whole posing of the argument. So, um, yeah. Um, speaking of dumb stuff while drinking, what, what's the, have, you ever, have you ever done anything really stupid while drunk that you can share with our listeners? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, in fact, one of, you know, the reasons that I really, really got inspired to do this kind of work, I mean, when I was in high school, uh, I, I had a significant alcohol poisoning incident where I was hospitalized after being at a music festival and just drinking all day and, and basically being taken by ambulance to the hospital overnight. Um, and what was interesting was at the time, no one ever really, you know, my parents cared and it was certainly an expensive trip to the hospital, but, you know, police didn't really ask me about where I got the booze from. They didn't do any investigation into the music festival 
festival. They didn't really do anything. They just kind of said, well, that's just another stupid kid. And then when I was in college and I started using marijuana and, and there started to be uh, some investigation into myself, which was done by our campus police as well as local, state, and upwards to the federal government. I mean, they had a multi-jurisdictional grand jury. I won't get into the details, but basically, uh, in essence, every level of government was worried about whether I, as a college student, was smoking pot. And the notion that uh, it's okay if I want to almost drink myself to death as an 18-year-old, and that doesn't matter, but if I might be hanging out in my dorm room smoking some weed, it's potentially, you know, the business of the federal government and everyone on down, um, I just recognized how absolutely hypocritical and ridiculous it was. So um, my alcohol-related mayhem uh, certainly was, was part of what uh, got me thinking about this whole issue. Gotcha. Yep, yep, makes sense. Um, um, so, Mason, we told you before we started the interview we are going to run a couple segments now. We're kind of, this is leading into this kind of uh, perfectly, actually. We're going to run this. This is a new segment that we've been doing. It's, we call it the Booze News. And uh, what we do is we tell, you know, either stories related to alcohol and its effects on society or even stupid drunk stories. Today, we don't have any really stupid drunk stories. I got a couple of stories from... From Britain that I just need to basically read the headlines on and just a little bit for you here about, and then uh, we'll discuss them. Um, um, one of the stories here from Britain is uh, regarding alcohol over the holidays. Um, what they're reporting is, is in the city of London, they've had to set up special like units during the holiday season to treat people for alcohol poisoning actually because over the holidays the incidence of alcohol poisoning increases greatly in, in London apparently. And what they've what they're reporting is is they're reporting that actually those that the, the numbers increase the mo- most on are, are professionals, bankers, lawyers, accountants, etc. Um, what do you what do you think about that? What's that say what's that say about about society and about booze and 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 in general. Uh, well, yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, the UK. There's there's very significant drinking problems there, and there are around the world. I mean, uh, here in, in uh, our country, one of the biggest issues is young people, college students, and binge drinking. Um, that happens to be the big issue surrounding alcohol here. Um, in the UK, there's certainly a lot of issues surrounding big events, New Year's Eve, things like that, where professional people and, and slightly older people are getting uh, really, really intoxicated and causing problems. And then there's places like um, in Russia where uh, and, and Iceland and places like that out in Eastern Europe where alcohol is one of the number one causes of death. Um, so, you know, depending on the culture, um, you know, we see a, a whole array of problems associated with it, and ultimately, what we're seeing is in none of, in in all of these cultures, we only allow alcohol use as a means of, of recreation, and you know, the use of intoxicating substances, and we don't allow marijuana use, and it's and it's very likely contributed to this type of culture where alcohol is the only real outlet for uh, for recreation and, and relaxation, and so on. And as we obviously know, that results in a lot of problems from time to time. Yeah, a lot of problems. I mean, like here, for instance, you know, a lot of people call New Year's Eve amateur night because every every person that doesn't drink all the time goes out and gets wasted. So you're dealing, you know, like certain certain time. It, it's crazy how like 
actually the holidays are like as you get older you notice how like more dangerous it is out on the roads and stuff and in public places to watch out for random drunks you know around the holidays and stuff yeah. it's crazy you know it's absolutely. crazy absolutely we've done a lot of things to highlight you know these types of things for example we've um taken some actions on around St. Patrick's Day to to basically say listen this is a holiday in which a lot of people go out and get drunk and cause problems and the city of Denver in our case we said listen you shouldn't be punishing people you should announce in fact you should announce that you're not going to punish people for marijuana so that you know if some people feel like staying at home instead of going out to the bars and getting completely uh, smashed if they'd rather do that they know that they can do that without worrying about it and we've done the same thing around uh, tailgate parties for Colorado State and University of Colorado football games I mean sporting events uh, I, was, I was recently back home in Phoenix and uh, the Phoenix Open golf tournament resulted in a massive uh, DUI task force being out all night and they just know that when big sporting events or big holidays are taking place it's a lot of drinking and, and potentially a lot of problems so there's really no good reason why they shouldn't just simply acknowledge that maybe some of these people would rather just use marijuana and if they let them maybe they wouldn't be drinking and causing problems Right. Um, okay. So uh, the the next I did two stories on Britain basically, and this one's related to a study done um, by the National Institute for Health and Clinical Science. Um, this is a health watchdog group um, that has made various recommendations uh, to um, to Britain basically on uh, ways to curb their excessive drinking. Um, they're considering possibly banning alcohol advertising altogether again, kind of like how well, we at least banned liquor advertising in the United States for a long time. Um, and then they're also wanting doctors to start doing more probing on their patients about their alcohol consumption. And they're also considering a minimum price on a unit of alcohol. Uh, what do you think about these sort of regulations to curb alcohol excess? And do you think there, to what level do you think that there's any sort of changes we could make that maybe could perhaps uh, uh, change alcohol yeah. excess? Well, I, I think that you know you can nitpick over things like like tax rates and and uh, advertising and so on. And I think that you'll have some marginal impacts. Um, but ultimately, what it comes down to is, is education surrounding the product. I mean, you know, they've increased the taxes on tobacco a, a ton, and they found that, yes, it had some impact on deterring use, but it wasn't until there was really a large, concerted effort to educate people about the significant health impacts of tobacco products that we started seeing people just decide that they didn't want to use them or that they didn't want to use them nearly as much. And so, you know, we can do things like adding little taxes or preventing uh, advertisements. We, we do know, I mean, we've seen studies that show that young people exposed to alcohol advertisements are far more likely to want to drink than those who aren't. Um, it's a fact. I mean, it's been proven over and over again. Um, but ultimately, we're not going to stop people from wanting to drink or from drinking. We need to just make sure that they understand what the substance is, what it can do, and how they're supposed to use it responsibly. And, of course, we, you know, from my perspective, and, and I, you know, I think it would be helpful to also provide people with an alternative. And for a lot of people, uh, you know, people whether they had formerly had alcohol problems or whether they just um, simply prefer it, I mean, they should be allowed to use marijuana if they'd rather. Yep. Yep. It makes, uh, it makes sense. Um, quick, quick health-related question to alcohol. 
Um, this actually, I, I think that this thought may have been inspired by some of the stuff I was reading um, in your book and then research that I did afterwards for the show. Um, do you think alcohol will ultimately be proven to be more cancer-causing than even tobacco? Um, well, it is already proven to be excessively cancer-causing, so I, I don't have the exact numbers right in front of me. I mean, we have no doubt that, that cancer or excuse me, that tobacco contributes to a lot of, of, of deaths. And it's not necessarily just just lung cancer, but also um, things like respiratory failure, lung disease, and so on. So um, with alcohol, it's very similar. We have all sorts of different types of cancers that can be uh, caused or facilitated by the use of alcohol. And then there's other conditions like liver failure and liver disease and um, and cirrhosis and, and so on. Um, a lot of, a lot of heart, uh, conditions and so on can be made worse through drinking. So, um, I don't know that you could really say one versus the other, uh, tobacco without, without a doubt kills more people per year. Um, but then again, uh, you know, a heart disease and, and poor eating habits and, and lack of exercise kills more than any of them. So, mm-hmm. you know, you got to take it all with a grain of salt. Sure, sure, sure. Um, or I guess okay. Without salt, if you don't want to be one of those dead Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, uh, over the last uh, couple episodes, we've uh, been talking about uh, Washington State and uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, both places are considering having marijuana regulated by the same authorities that regulate alcohol. Um, they're also both considering allowing marijuana to be sold in liquor stores. Um, how do you feel about this potential? Um, well, I mean, ultimately when it comes to like marijuana being enforced by the same people, that's always going to generally, I mean, in large part that will be the case. I mean, you know, uh, police are going to be the ones that determine whether someone purchased it illegally or whether someone has it illegally if they're underage or what have you. And uh, there's going to be department of revenues and, and departments of health when it comes to regulations and, and so on surrounding how the product sold or packaged or whatever. So in terms of how it's policed, you know, that doesn't really change anything. The notion that it would be sold in liquor stores is a little different. Um, and you know, that, that's certainly one way to go about it. I mean, um, but I don't see that being the way that it's going to happen at all. Um, the way that things generally work. I mean, the people in the, in those industries in the liquor industry and that run those stores have no, idea what the products are when it comes to marijuana. They have no idea what to do with them. Um, They probably have no way to even find them and access them. It's just, it's such a long step versus uh, simply having uh, state regulated or licensed or or run even if you want to go that route um, uh, outlets for it. Yeah, that's, that's a a great, um, that's a great, we, we, we've, we've talked about this, till our faces turned red um, the last couple shows. And your point there about the liquor stores not knowing anything about the product is huge, really. I mean, like, that's something we did not touch on in this discussion and really value that that perspective. Because they don't. Yeah, they don't know anything. It goes the same for, like, you know, there's always been the rumors of the tobacco companies wanting mm-hmm. to, you know, take over marijuana once it's legalized. And it's none of it's true. They don't. They're not in that business. It would be like saying that the orange farmers in Florida are just dying to get into the corn market in Nebraska. They're just not. It's just not what they do. It's not a market they're in, uh, you know, and and it's just just, uh, irrelevant, really. Right. 
Right. Okay. Um, so how you, how you doing on time here? You, you doing okay? You got a little bit more time or we need to, to wrap this yeah, up? Yeah. How's it going? Yeah. Whatever you guys good? do. All right, cool. Um, we're, let's run this. Uh, we're going to run another quick segment with, we've got a very short PSA to read. Um, it's a clip. It's a advertisement that's, that's out right now about, um, driving under the influence of marijuana. Uh, we have so we have to read the. There's. Are you going to read this, Matt? You'll, yeah. Will you narrate it? Sure. You'll narrate it. All right. So he's got to narrate it because there's words on the commercial, and he'll read the words as they go. So roll it. All right. It opens up. Uh, it's a a road. Sorry, the clip is delayed here. And the text says, it's the kid walking across the road. His kid brother was killed. And he's kneeling down by some flowers. By a by tree, a driver right? Under the influence. Yeah, by a tree. And then it says, on marijuana. And he in was the driver. Study, one in three reckless drivers who were tested for drugs tested positive for marijuana. It's more harmful than we all thought. Okay, I kind of stepped over that last part. In a roadside study, one in three reckless drivers who were tested for drugs tested positive for marijuana. It's more <laughs> harmful than we all thought. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. Um, what do you think about that, Mason? Um, well, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot more attention paid to marijuana use and driving as we move mm. forward. And that's really... Excuse me. That's really going to be, in some ways, a requisite if we want to see the substance become more legally and socially accepted. Um, we are able to develop laws that are uh, that are scientifically and sound and reasonable that can deal with this. Uh, for example, here in Colorado, uh, there's a lot of talk of a per se DUI D law that would basically set a specific limit of THC in the blood for a driver. And of course, I, I just as much as anyone am always uncomfortable when it comes to this notion of deciding whether or not someone's impaired or, and so on. But there's, you know, enough research out there and enough uh, science to show that, um, you know, when someone does reach a certain level of THC in their blood, and this does not mean in their urine and so on, we're talking about actual THC that they've ingested within the last hour or minute or whatever. Um, Metabolites, it can actually. Be impaired. Mm-hmm. What's that? Metabolites, right? But, like, um, not the... Not the current, no, the tablets like, are what come up in your urine in a urinalysis. This would be actually nanograms per milliliter of blood. So mm-hmm. what we're talking about is like if you, you know, the level that's being proposed here in Colorado, uh, which would actually make it the best DUID law in the country from the marijuana consumer's perspective, um, would be five nanograms per milliliter, which basically means that uh, if you drive within the first hour after you use a lot of marijuana, you're probably going to be found to be impaired. Um, that may not be the case for everyone, just like it may not be the case that everyone who has two or three beers is impaired, but if they're over the legal limit, that's just how it is. Unfortunately, we live in a world where there need to be standards. There is a lot of uh, accountability and litigiousness, and basically we need to arrive at some sort of uh, uh, universally accepted level, and then it's up to uh, law enforcement to use their discretion. I mean, 
that's why we, we right now don't see a whole lot of DUIs with marijuana because more often than not, if someone's pulled over and they find them with marijuana, they issue them a citation for possession or what have you. They don't just assume that they're driving and so on. Like the person would actually have to demonstrate some level of impairment, like doing something stupid. Uh, they'd have to fail a field, a field sobriety test. They would then have to go through this whole process. It's just not something that's going to happen willy-nilly um, if, if marijuana is legal. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to it, – it, it'll be uh, – pretty reasonable uh, and it's going to require some change in the culture i mean people need to get get it through their heads that you cannot drive down the street smoking pot you, you know i'm not saying that you should use marijuana then drive or that you should drive somewhere then use marijuana but either of those would be far better off than smoking while you're driving because that's going to get you sure. in trouble that is going to get you in trouble yeah i mean because we, we we've had questions we've had questions questions flowing in about this. We've talked about it a bunch of times over the last 10 episodes. There's a lot of stories coming up, a lot of discussion in all the state legislatures that have medical marijuana regarding this. Uh, that statistic to me just made me feel what, the, what she said was a roadside study in a roadside study of reckless drivers, one out of three were, came back to be positive for, for marijuana and uh, that it's more of a problem than we thought. And until we have yeah, actual metabolite-like testing, there's that that discussion is moot. That that doesn't you, you can't even. I mean, well, from the testing she's just, discussing, you can't even prove they didn't smoke two weeks ago. Just be careful what you're saying there. Metabolite testing is not what you want. <laughs> metabolite, metabolite testing is basically te- your analysis testing, which means okay, that, so you meta- know, three weeks later you would still have it. You don't want metabolite testing. You want so, blood testing. We want okay. Well, that's what we're getting at. We okay. So we're using the we may be using the wrong the wrong lingo then for the testing then that that we're we're talking about wanting. What we need is this testing that like you're saying where you take a blood determines test determines impairment and it yeah, determines exactly. actual impairment, not use because of the way that it that it that it you know works through your body. So it's not. I mean, because you, you can't. It's not fair to to throw up statistics like that based off of impairment when, when what they're talking about is potentially someone that smoked weed two or three weeks ago. They, they have no way of knowing. So yeah, that's, that's, yep. uh, that's you know, what, I have a question we, on that. Um, wh- how would, what, how would a test like that be administered where they take blood? Um, just like they would take blood for a DUI test. I mean, everyone who's, who is basically uh, pulled over and suspected of driving under the influence of alcohol has the ability to request a blood test instead of a breathalyzer test. And basically it entails um, having a technician draw a small amount of blood and having it tested. Um, so in the case of, say, the law being considered in Colorado, you know, the fact that um, it is such a process really does, in some sense, help the user in that, um, you know, if, if let's say you're pulled over and you have a level of THC in your blood that's above the legal limit, but it takes them an hour to get someone out there to test it, and by that time it goes down, then you're going to not be found to be impaired. Um, so there's a lot of things to be taken into consideration like that, and also because it's such a process, they're not, we're not going to see a lot of police just 
wanting to test every single person they think might have ever used marijuana because it's just not going to be reasonable. Um, there's, there's, there's definitely a lot of, of research being done into roadside tests for marijuana, things like mouth swabs and, and things similar to breathalyzer tests. None of them have really worked thus far, but I have no doubt that those types of things will continue to happen. But until then, um, the best we can hope for in terms of it being uh, reasonable and scientifically sound testing procedure would be blood. Okay. So, so as hopefully as similar to DUI as possible, because you can turn down the breath. You're what you're saying. I mean, I've never had to do this, so I don't know, but I've, well, you, I've can't, talk, you can't talk turn to down a breathalyzer and a blood test. You have to take one or the other, right? Yeah. If you turn them both down, you automatically lose your license and you keep shit. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, cool. Well, um, th- these are the these are some of the reoccurring issues that have been coming up on the show over the last handful of episodes. So we just thought that we would check in with you on how you feel about all these different things. We really appreciate the time that you've taken and uh, everything you do for the movement. Got one more super important question for you today, though, Mason. Um, so I totally uh, checked out. I checked out your Facebook page, and I okay. noticed that you were at the. I noticed you were at the Greek this year. I was at the Greek too. That was super fun. Oh um, yeah. I see you're a fan right of. I, I see that you're a fan of fish and the Grateful Dead. Um, you had to choose yeah, one over the other. Which one would it be? Finished here in uh, Colorado. Oh, so you're big. So you're into both. If you had to do one or the other, which one would it be? If you had to drop one band for uh, one man, of those I'm, bands, I'm a, I'm a dead guy first and foremost. You know, I think this is tearing it up. I'm loving them of late, but but I'm always a dead guy. Ooh. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> just checking, just checking. We were wanting to know. Cool, yeah. man. Well, uh, right you got anything that you'd like to plug here at the end of the show? Is there anything currently, any projects or anything you'd like to plug? Sure. Well, yeah, no, I appreciate it, and I appreciate you guys having me. Um, I would simply encourage anyone who might be interested in finding out more about Safer, uh, you can check us out online at saferchoice.org. Uh, we also work a lot with college students around the country. Uh, we have a project called the Safer Campuses Initiative, which uh, any students who might be listening, if you're interested in, in finding out more about that, uh, you can check that out at safercampuses.org. And then uh, finally, our, our, our latest project that we're really getting up and, and running is the Women's Marijuana Movement, uh, which is an effort really designed to get more and more women talking, uh, not just hourly, but amongst each other about uh, the need to have uh, more rational marijuana laws, in particular, having more women discussing the relative safety of marijuana and why they should be allowed to use it and so on. And that's uh, the Women's Marijuana Movement. It's womensmarijuanamovement.org. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. We really, really appreciate your time and your effort. Thanks a lot, Mason. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me, right. guys. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk thanks, to you again sometime soon. Yeah, yeah. Stay in touch, please. Okay. Thanks. Okay, take care, guys. Take care, man. Wow. Mason Tavert, everybody. I thought that was Mm -hmm. totally hip and relevant. What about you? Yeah, that went entirely wild. I was uh, was pleased. I was glad that, uh, you know, he's just such a a nice guy. He's so involved in all this stuff. You know, there's a a certain, I think, relevant chance that he could be kind of a, a jerk. But uh, he's, he's, he couldn't be farther from that. He's just a genuinely kind of cool dude. I, I appreciated talking to him. Oh, very intelligent. Um, I would say it's official, guys. I think that, yeah. that Mason, 
Mason, uh, undisputed. We didn't do this while you're on the line, and in the future, we'll be better about doing this while you're on the line. Uh, but uh, if, if you've been listening to the show, man, we give we give uh, uh, our in, 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 uh, intelligent, functional stoners, even though you mm-hmm. may not even be a stoner, um, we give uh, you guys dings when uh, we approve of uh, when we approve and, and like uh, what you have to bring to the table, Mason. All right, it's, it's official. You know, you know the, the whole essence, the whole idea behind the ding is that it, it's just directly confronting this whole stigma and stereotype that people that use cannabis or are associated or affiliated with cannabis are just less than, you know, they're under par, they're, they're unmotivated, they're losers, losers. So, you know, in their face. And before long, um, if we get to that big party at show number 420, I'm in great hopes of reviewing some of our shows and just putting some of those dings together. And won't it be funny when we have our and hours of saying people's names ding 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 and then you'll get the picture really really loud and clear so you know keep listening and we'll keep having people that just disintegrate that whole stereotype that's what we're working on that's what we're working on we don't give them out easily too because not every i mean you know (laughs) not every person that smokes pot is intelligent (laughs) and and functional i mean that's just real you can't you know what i mean like it's it's true i mean not every person yeah. that doesn't smoke pot is intelligent and functional. So uh, sure. we don't we don't give them out too easily. It's not a, it, it's not an easy distinction to get on the agenda. Right. It's ding credibility. It's, yeah, we try to be credible with our dinging. <laughs> <laughs> on to California. All right. This is some interesting stuff, y'all. So as everybody knows, marijuana is quasi legal in California. We have a meta, uh, met the you know the first uh, real medical system. Um, dispensaries all over the state. People growing all over the state. Uh, an abundance of uh, supply of marijuana in the state of California. We're going to go down to the Bay Area today, San Francisco specifically for this story. Uh, what's going on in San Francisco? Well, currently there's about 25 registered dispensaries in San Francisco, legal dispensaries. There are two registered dis- uh, delivery dispensaries in, in uh, San Francisco, and there's about 16, 15, 16 unregistered ones. The difference between re- being registered and unregistered is means you paid the city of San Francisco 8500 bucks and... Wow. Um, fell completely within their guidelines for operating your business. Um, and uh, you are a collective that is based in the city of San Francisco. Uh, apparently, I don't know if it's all of these other 16 that do are not registered. They have not paid the $8,500 to get the license in San Francisco. But the reason why is because they are based in other areas. Their service moves their product in San Francisco. But for instance, this one, uh, one group that's in this story is from Ukiah. And uh, they, uh, they, it's a, it's a Ukiah-based delivery service called Northstone Organics. The president of that is uh, Matthew Cohen. And he says um, he is not down with unfair business practices either, but he, has a, uh, but he basically, there's no way for him to pay for 
the the permit because there's no language in there for dispensaries that are not based in San Francisco or for collectives that are not based in San Francisco. So, for instance, this guy with with Northstone Organics also has a delivery service in I believe it's in Oakland, maybe Oakland or Berkeley in Oakland, and there he could purchase a delivery license to possess the right to sell. Because the language there allows him to do so and get one because he's not a, a collective that's in the city. So he has done that in Oakland but has not done that in San Francisco because basically the language won't allow him to do it. And he's been working with the department. He says he's been working with the department to try and come up with a solution for this. But here is what's happening now. This man, Kevin Reed, he is um, the owner and president, I believe, of a um, delivery dispensary in San Francisco called uh, Green Cross. And he has shelled out the 8500 for the um, for the uh, dispensary license. Um, and he's also on some sort of board down there, medical marijuana-related board. Um, he has spoken out regarding these 16 dispensaries um, that do not have licenses in the city of San Francisco. He wrote a letter on January 11th specifically to uh, the district, the new district attorney there, which is um, San, former San Francisco police, police department chief George Gascon, who is considered a foe of medical mm-hmm. cannabis. He sent a letter to them uh, laying out the names uh, and probably contact information of all these, what he d- deems illegal dispensaries operating within the city of uh, San Francisco. Uh, the public health department is who's in charge of uh, regulating the, 20, the, the dispensaries in San Francisco. Uh, the, the department only has one half of one, so they only have one half of one person's full-time position dedicated to overseeing the dispensaries. They know about this problem already, and anyone that wants to do some easy Google research or look around could find these, you know, quote-unquote, illegal uh, delivery dispensaries. Um, but he handed this letter over to basically the district attorney and the cops. And the issue here now has become, there's two issues, right? Should these businesses be not allowed to operate because they're not following correctly within the ordinance? Should there be some sort of change? But also, is this guy, Kevin Reed, a snitch? People are calling him a snitch. What do you guys think about that? Hmm. I don't know about that. Um, yeah. He drops a dime, eh? I don't know. Drops a uh, dime. He handed, okay. Yes. So he has handed, this is not, we're not talking about selling cotton. Now, if you are right. in the city of San Francisco and there's cotton dealers, first of all, you may not be allowed to do it because someone, there could be some crazy mob stuff scaring you to death not to, to tell on the, the cotton dealers. I don't know. But even if, it, let's right. just say it's cotton, you go and you tell people they're selling cotton illegally or shirts illegally without paying their business. I mean, first of all, at, at any point, if you're telling on someone else doing something illegal, you know, you're, 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 you're kind of snitching. But this is marijuana. Even if he's trying to resolve an actual issue, he's handing over the names of people that are doing something that could put them in legal. This, this isn't going to be the city coming and fining them and making them pay uh, a fine. It's going to be cops coming in and take, you know, taking everything, arresting people potentially. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just think it's like, 
I think it's kind of a. I think that is the line. I mean that that's that's where I would draw the line in terms of. Um, mm-hmm. I think if if there's if there's a chance that that someone's going to go to jail over you know you ratting them out or whatever you want to call it you know dropping a dime. Uh-huh. Um, I mean that's I wouldn't cross that line. Sure. Nope. I mean I he's agree. he's got one of the most success. This Kevin Kevin Reed's the Green Cross is a pretty successful um, mm-hmm. delivery dispensary in the city. And this is a this is him trying to crush the. I mean, is this a isn't this a move from him to try and snuff out some of his competition? Hmm. It sounds like it might be. Yeah. If if that's the case, then that's pretty nefarious activity. Right. So the question is: Does he? Are there any other options that you know? Are does he have any other options before he goes to the cops? Absolutely. That's what I'm wondering here. I mean, like if he's a true activist, if Mm -hmm. this is about marijuana activism or if it's just about money to me, to me, this doesn't sound like activism. It sounds like money. It sounds like something he's not putting a lot of thought into and he's potentially putting people's lives and families and friends in danger by giving lists to public officials. And it, it to me seems problematic because our regulations in marijuana are not firm yet. So if he wants to get all pissed off because the the ordinance isn't writ, written properly, well, that's not the fault of the 16 dispensaries that are operating within the city that can't get a permit because they happen to be registered in a different area, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, so I think really his problem is more he's, he's misdirected. If, if it's an activism issue, he's misdirected his um, – his, uh, his 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 issue. He's mis- put it. He's turned it into this thing on on the you know where it's the fault of the dispensary owners and the people running these businesses. When in fact it's it's a, it's a poorly written ordinance without an option for these people to operate. So um, so I'm not trying to give him too much criticism because I, I think that he's he's on the medical uh, cannabis task force down there, and um, mm-hmm. I, it, the first impression of this story to me, on Kevin Reed's part, is bad. I'm not particularly excited about his behaviors in this issue. Now, Mm -hmm. he might be a very, very intelligent, functional, stoner activist. We have to talk to him and see what it is exactly. I'd like to get him on the show. I'd like to talk to him about what his intentions are and his reasonings are behind this and how he can justify, you know, like putting people in harm's way and uh, see if he if he'll have an honest discussion with us. So we're going to try and reach out to talk to this man. And uh, well, I think at the same time, we're going to try and reach out to talk to this other vocal um, gentleman, Matthew Cohen, who's the president of one of these illegal uh, dispensaries. And he's based out of Ukiah. The name of their service is North Stone Organics. I think we're going to try and talk to him, too, and see what he has to say and see, mm-hmm. see find out, get to, get to the bottom of this story and see exactly what the deal is and, and kind of find out what people's intentions are, who the activist is, or, you know, if, if any of this is activism, this could be, you know, the thing about, right. the thing about marijuana now is now there's full on capitalists in this business. They don't, mm. there, there's people in this business now that don't care about marijuana specifically. So politics and, it's not about, and money. Yeah. A lot of politics and a lot of money. So, um, it's a, this is a, a interesting deal and it's something that the cannabis agenda cares about. So we're going to, we're going to try and follow up on this. Uh, if you guys have any questions that you want us to ask these people, when we do get them on the line, please email us with them, uh, so that we've got them, uh, for you guys. So. Sure. Hey, I have a question about this story. What you said that he was a, a, a member of the medical cannabis task force. What that's a pro cannabis 
organization, correct? It is. And it would make him, at least to some degree, some sort of activist. He's got to be some sort of, he has to have some sort of, you know, you know, obviously pro-marijuana stance, right? But, um, but I think the problem, and then what I, so here's what I'm saying is conflicting about him being that activist and then turning these people in. He wasn't thinking about the fact that it's not their fault that the regulations aren't perfect yet. It's, it's right. the official's fault. And you're putting them, Kevin Reed just put them in harm's way by turning their names in. Now, could people find out who they are without him doing this? Of course. But it sure. looks incredibly, incredibly bad. And in my opinion at this point, he should apologize. Because as a movement, as a movement, he's putting people that have similar political views and stances behind marijuana that he has. And I don't think that's good pot karma. So he's not playing nicely. No, 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 no. He's playing like a real capitalist at this point. And I want to know, I would like to get to the bottom of, of where he's drawing that line, you know, and, and I'd love to hear his reasoning for the, his rationale behind all this, you know, um, at this point, from what I, the, the few stories I've read on this, it just doesn't make sense to me. So, um, if he wants the city to deal with the fact that they need to create some, some wording in that ordinance so that out of, out of area dispensaries have to register within the city, that can easily be done, but you don't need to turn the heat on to them. You just need to turn the heat. I mean, he's on the task force. Sure, he can talk directly with, with people in charge of, of making policy in the city of San Francisco. So uh, turning over a list of names to a new district attorney who is a former police chief that is considered a foe of medical pot. Uh, sounds like an issue. uh, That's the, we don't, we don't have a cannabis etiquette for today, but that's the one, one of them that we featured in the last couple of shows where, you know, you use discretion. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, just poor, poor form in a general sense. Yeah, the thing, the thing, I think the thing that, that that's happening is it's become a, this business is becoming so capitalist now. It's such yeah. a it's such a big business now, and we're you know how we are on this show towards other podcasts, other cannabis related podcasts. We're friends. We all have something that we're fighting for that we're long away from right. achieving, really, and because there's. Right. Because now there is an economic device in California for marijuana, um, people are forgetting that the people that they're competing against are actually their same team. Totally on the same team. Mm -hmm. And they're forgetting about that at this point. And that would be and I what I would say to people out there is because of where we're at and where we're trying to go, we we need to work work together in this business. Um collaborate more. It's not about crushing each other. It's not about putting other people out of business. It's about having a very functional medical marijuana economy in the state of California and in other states that have medical marijuana programs. So um, we always need to keep that as our, as, as our main intention. So uh, yes. Did he drop a dime? Is he a snitch or not? We'll, we'll get to the bottom of it and. uh, in the near future, hopefully. Looks like we're moving on to your Rocky Mountain High. Some news from Colorado, Montana, and Idaho. No Idaho news today, but uh, we, we can, we, their Rocky Mountain status. 
Rocky Mountain status. That's right. Yep. That's right. Yeah, and they got uh, some stuff going on over there. So, uh, you know, soon we'll be talking about Idaho again, hopefully, in a positive light, I hope. Yeah. Hey, by the way, meant to mention this to our listeners. If you guys want to make... Um, you can look on our notes and see what our segues are titled. If any of you are good with making little sound effects or whatever, you can try and create uh, sound effects for us, send them into us that would be the intro to each segment. So like now I'd be like, we're now you're Rocky Mountain High. Rocky Mountain High. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that was pretty good. We should go with that one. <laughs> or or whatever. Sure that's on know? tape. Yeah, or, or whatever. So if you want to make some sound effects for our segments and send them in, we'd be grateful. We're grateful anyways, but we'd be grateful if you'd help us with that. So, Mobile clinics, what's going on with the mobile clinics, dude? All right, so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, they've been working in Colorado. Um, uh, apparently, you know, in, in the Boulder and Denver and more populated areas, um, it's pretty easy to go and see a doctor. There are plenty of them. Um, but in the more rural areas of Colorado, and there are a lot of them, um, it's a lot. It's a little harder. Some communities don't have a doctor that will uh, that will write a recommendation for uh, cannabis. So this guy, um, I forget his name, but they'll mention it in the in the clip we're about to play. He uh, he crafted two classic. Uh, what are they? Airstream trailers. You know those big silver bullet looking things from the from the seventies mm-hmm. uh, into mobile medical marijuana doctors' offices. And uh, nice. we got the clip here. In health view this daybreak, state-sanctioned marijuana dispensaries now outnumber Starbucks coffee houses in Colorado. Outside of Denver and Boulder, however, few doctors are comfortable with dealing with medical marijuana. Now, as Jim Spellman reports, some doctors are taking their show on the road. Like many small towns in Colorado, Salida has a beautiful downtown, a great view of the mountains, and friendly people. What it doesn't have is a doctor who will write recommendations for medical marijuana. But the doctors, of course, are the gatekeepers to make sure the patients have access. That's Vincent Palazzo, and he's bringing the doctors to the small towns. A year ago, he founded Medical Marijuana Assistance Program of America, converted a pair of vintage Airstream trailers into mobile clinics, and hit the road. What we do is we bring our doctors uh, who are willing to travel throughout the state, make sure that they are reaching out to patients. In Colorado, patients can legally buy and use medical marijuana only if a doctor gives them a recommendation. But for some would-be patients like David Falk, the nearest doctor could be hundreds of miles away. Come, I'm here in Salida this morning to uh, uh, see about getting a uh, uh, license for uh, medical marijuana uh, to see if it'll help with uh, chronic pain that I deal with. He works as a logger and says ibuprofen just isn't cutting it anymore. Dr. Margaret Getty has been writing medical marijuana recommendations for about a year and says she has over 1,500 patients. The past couple of years, I became aware of uh, what was happening in medical marijuana in Colorado, and I looked at marijuana as a medication and was very surprised um, at how beneficial it was. They don't dispense any marijuana in the trailers, but once a patient is approved, they can buy marijuana in one of the hundreds of dispensaries throughout the state. Uh, marijuana is a, a great option for you for pain control and to relax uh, the muscles and to help you sleep. Um, so I'm recommending that for you. Great. All right. So you'll be. I'm recommending you to the registry. And so. Great. Thank you. I, I have the coolest job in the world because I get to talk to people mm-hmm. after they've finally gotten it, and and hear 
um, what's happened with their pain and, and how they're able to function and how they're able to sleep. For Vincent Palazzo, this is the first step in making medical marijuana more accessible. We want to make sure that no patient's left behind and it starts with the rural communities. So he'll hit the road again to spread the word, town to town, patient by patient. Jim Spellman, Salida, Colorado. Awesome. I think so. I think it's spectacular. Mm, I don't see why there you know, would be any kind of a problem with that. I don't know. You know what I mean? Because it's a bunch of hippies trying to make everybody smoke dope. Mm-hmm. It is. Well, you know, it, you know, it comes down to the initial law. Is it is it agreed upon through the legislature? You know, and all they do is really say you're not going to get arrested for this. They don't say this is what we prescribed to you. They're not trying to get in your medical business. They're just saying if you do it for this, we recognize that it, it could mitigate circumstances that you suffer from, so we're not going to harass you. So if those laws exist, then that means it's considered a medicinal activity for, you know, legitimate medicinal patients. I don't see any difference with uh, that. And like, you know, you could bring any other kind of clinic around. It makes sense. It's actually doesn't, it's not just okay. It's actually a great thing. It's a, you know, I don't know why that would be disputable, but it is in so many places. Montana had a they, fit about that. They did. They they had an absolute fit about it and they banned them, I believe. Didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, they did. They did. They did ban them. They were, Oh boy. They were going after that guy that uh, proposed that idea in the first place too. He was uh I don't know where things are going now. They had some other different things they were doing. We remember with the like closed circuit TV, like doing it basically on like a computer video connection. So you could like, as long as you get a screen where you can get their addy and, and contact them and the, the, and they, they had a big problem with that idea too. But I'm saying that's pretty much, I don't know. I don't know about that one. It's a little bit different than the clinics because at least they are there physically with you. They can, they can see you up close. They oh. can manipulate, you know, touch you. And, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's a- yeah well, they can touch you. But, I mean, does everybody need to be touched by the doctor all the no. time? Sometimes I feel like being touched by the doctor is unnecessary. It's like, if they touching me. If certain... Yeah, that's the comment you made when we discussed this, and you're exactly right. I thought that was a really good thing because I wasn't looking out for that one, but uh, yeah, that makes sense. But I think if if you if you're not, if it's not an ailment that's physical thing where they have to examine you, phys- you know, like by touch, then you still have to get them your medical records at least, right? Uh, <laughs> really? Do you? I mean, this, this okay. So Montana is originally what dis- inspired uh, our discussion of of how difficult it should be for to get a recommendation. And from what I can tell, apparently the only reason that we're trying to make it difficult right now for people more or people want it to be difficult is because of all the reefer madness hysteria that still exists in society. It's not because it's not because you actually need to be poked and prodded upon. I mean, it's like, Oh, I've got Crohn's disease and, you know, I mean, does the doctor need to go stick his finger up your asshole? I don't think so. You know, like it's not, it's, you know, like, I mean, there's really and truly to what degree does any poking and prodding need to be done for you to get medical marijuana, of one of the safest therapeutic medicines in the world, if not the safest. So, um, you know, I don't know. I just kind of feel like, um, 
you know, it's it's a it's a bit of it's a bit of one of those things. And we'll see if in Col- I, I have a feeling that in Colorado they're going to be way cooler about this than they were. In it's going to go much there without a doubt. I'm sure you're right. It's going to be much smoother than I'm glad it is so far. They haven't been making any kind of a hoopla over this. I think they're probably yeah. relieved because they're like, well, what about those people? And this guy kind of came in and filled that void, and he takes licensed physicians, so it's all on the up and up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, so we got some stuff. Speaking of Montana, looks like we've got a, a story from Montana too. This yeah, we cool. talked about uh, being careful. You got to be careful because this thing can go backwards. It can go the other way. Um, if that's necessarily going to be the case in Montana, it's yet to be seen. But uh, thus far, Montana has the House of Representatives voted um, a week ago to repeal the state's six-year-old medical marijuana law. Um, this is a 63 to 37 vote, largely along party lines. It's a party line agenda, um, in the Republican controlled chamber. Uh, they pushed Montana to the front lines in the national debate, says the New York times coverage of this story. Um, we'll see where this goes. Uh, pretty much the opinions within this situation run kind of the gamut. Um, uh, house speaker, Mike Milburn, he's a Republican and he's the sponsor of this repeal bill repeal bill is says uh we were duped he said they said that he thought that the arguments about medical use had been a pretext for encouraging recreational use and creating a path to full legalization he said he feared gang drug wars in montana cities and debilitations of its youth the bill says shut down everything it's gone way too far mr milburn told the chamber before the vote well a little bit more on the kind of in between mr uh brian schweitzer our government governor brian schweitzer said he believes that the laws need to be tightened but he's not taking a position on repeal he's kind of iffy in between guy there and then um his spokesman, Sarah Elliott, uh, Sarah Elliott rather, um, said uh, in an email, the business has gotten out ahead of the regulatory environment and we need to build some boundaries. So that, you know, seems fair to me. But then uh, in the voices of some of the other lawmakers, um, the, the, the weight and passion of the issue um, is, is pretty evident. Representative Diane Sands, a Democrat on the, on the House, uh, in the House, said, we tried prohibition. Marijuana has been in our community for years. It's not going away. We have to deal with that fact. So, you know, pretty much uh, across the board, whatever, pick an opinion, any opinion. Uh, I have an opinion. I bet you can't. I bet the House and the Senate, I bet the legislature in, I bet it is unconstitutional for the legislature in Montana to repeal a law that was passed by the voters. Yeah, I bet you that only they can repeal it, but... That's uh, undisputedly that's the the most popular comment through uh, from Democratic uh, representatives. They're saying it sickens them. It, it, some of them have made comments to the effect that it, it really gives them a really sick feeling in their stomach, like they're going to lose their lunch when they when they imagine doing something like that just because of that reason that you mentioned. They said this seems just so blatantly wrong. It's uh, I agree. It's crazy. We'll see where it goes there. Um, I, what I don't get is, uh, he, so here's the thing. They're like, it's, you know, do we duke people when we run our campaigns in some states? We do tend to emphasize on the super sick and super needy for pot, mm-hmm. medical pot. We do. We, emph- we, em- 
we emphasize them 90 percent you know what i mean to the biggest portion when there are a lot of people that aren't dying that need medical pot too and it is in our agenda to make sure they get pot too right don't we do that to some degree yep okay yep just we do. honest I agree. but it's part of politics right i mean it's a you know it's playing the game of politics it's, it's the seedy underbelly of politics yes and um but here's the thing so they're still stuck these people that want to repeal it are still stuck and even though it's been legal in Montana now for a bit, still stuck mm-hmm. in reefer madness and believing that there's just such a huge social consequence to people being able to legally smoke pot. And, um, and, if, and, when, and when they continue down this line, it brings them to what you say. Things can go backwards. Instead of moving mm-hmm. forwards, they would prefer to move backwards. And for them, it's easier to just repeal the law and make it illegal again and get everything going the way it used to go so functionally for the last how many ever years. Or they could choose to be groundbreakers and they could regulate it (laughs) like they do. Well, you know, they they build up this wave. They build up this wave of of excitement and and fear and and hysteric hysteria and I I have no doubt that there's some of those in those uh in that Republican run chamber that are uh, towing the party line based primarily on that fact they get caught up in that they allow themselves willfully perhaps to get caught up in that but they get caught up in that nonetheless and they don't necessarily you know believe a lot of the things that they're you know they're doing but they think that they. They've been, they're being lied to to some degree uh, as much as the rest of us are. And it's it's sure. a political maneuvering. They want to take this chance right now. I kid you, I, I have zero doubt in my mind that uh, in closed doors, behind closed doors, their discussions in that Republican Party of Montana are, are so, there's, there's, there's at least existing within the discussion are the ideas that this is an opportunity politically for them to gain back ground that they've lost. And if they do, there's a very respectable chance that that might happen. The fact is, regardless of whether it happens or not, they're not going to change everything, anything. This uh, Representative Sands is exactly right. It's not going away. It's not going anywhere. People are more aware now. And what, what do we say countless times on this show? Once you stretch your mind to new dimensions, it can't go back to the original. You, you, you can't unlearn the, the facts, you know, and the, and the uh, realities that you learn about with cannabis. And so... So it might take a step back, but it's going to take a couple steps forward, you know, and every few steps forward, sure. maybe we'll take another step back. And that's an unfortunate kind of a wasteful part of the process, process, not process. Do you see I said process, Canadian genetics in there. We, we found <laughs> out before the show. It's official people. It's official. Jamie has Canadian genetics and that's why he says Some process. Process. <laughs> uh, but, uh, hey, but I'm a US, US, US. It's, it's generations past, so. American. Hey, dude. Um, that was well said. That was all well said. Let's move on to the Southwest. Uh, what's going on in Surprise? We got surprises in Arizona? Surprise. Yeah, we're not going to actually play this clip, but uh, the Surprise City Council is uh, deciding on whether they're going to allow dispensaries and how and when, how many and where and why not and how many there won't be and that kind of thing. So the city 
itself is going to vote, like the citizens the of the city, city council, or, I or believe, the, is making um, making mm-hmm. uh, whatever you know rules. Yeah, they're going to try to regulate it. Okay, um, check it out. The link to the clip is on the show notes. What's the deal with this uh, this uh, douchebag in, in in Maricopa County? So that hey man, you better be careful. He might send somebody to get you and snag you up and send him to you, send you to his desert jail. You know who this guy is? Is Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio. You've heard of him before, whether you realize it or not. He's the guy that developed that tent city out in Arizona, and that's their county jail. It's a series of tents right out in the desert. And buddy, it is hot. It is really hot and it's uncomfortable and it's miserable. And he knows that and he loves it, and that's his intention. So it's been controversial. It's been a point of contention for civil rights and human rights people for since this inception years and years ago um he also wear, makes all the men in there wear pink underwear because he thinks it's a little bit humiliating. Humi- i don't know humiliating i guess is, is what, what he's after i don't really get that but it's become kind of a calling card for him he just did a major speaking event recently and he brought uh a bunch of pink underwear and autographed them for folks so it's, dude it's this sounds different. like a concentration camp like a, not is, nearly not nearly as bad, but he is trying to torture them to some degree. It sounds to some like. degree. He's want to make, he wants to make it so unbearable and miserable that they make a, a more, uh, I don't know, a, a decision with a little more foresaw, forethought involved uh, before they commit more crimes, which, you know, anybody that knows anything about, you know, we'll talk to a uh, professor, a uh, criminal justice professor later in a, in a program. I think that's coming well, up you next, could, actually. And, you uh, could, uh, well, that's, a, that's like, I'm not much of a slippery slope guy, but that is a slippery right. slope. I mean, you can go, it okay, is. so then you steal a dime from someone when you cut your fingernail off or cut your finger off or you know because you because we will shoot you we'll shoot you if you steal something worth over a thousand dollars so right. don't do that hey, well you know I mean, keep in mind this this is what uh the sheriff can get away with if he was left to his own devices goodness who knows what would be happening there they might be cutting things off of people but uh currently he's up to some more shenanigans i don't know he says this is legitimate it sounds remotely bordering on possibly being legitimate to some degree but uh he's got a clip here what he's gonna do is uh he's he's started a medical marijuana specific task force and uh, i think we got a clip let's check this out he wants to shoot as soon as this summer and sheriff joe arpaio is already making plans to crack down on people who abuse the law he's formed a special enforcement unit targeting medical marijuana andrew hasman spoke with the sheriff today andrew joins us live what's this all about Now, the sheriff compares this to when he started his human smuggling enforcement unit. A group of deputies already assigned to the narcotics team will be monitoring the dispensaries and their customers. This sheriff wants to make sure the medical pot goes to qualified patients and not sold on the black market. I don't really know whether I'm concerned yet. Uh, I do know they've had problems in Colorado, in California. It, it, It mushroomed. It's so out of hand. Uh, that uh, we don't want that to happen here. The sheriff has teamed up with the former head of the Drug Enforcement Agency for Arizona, who says this program will be no different than programs targeting medical professionals who illegally distribute prescription drugs. And we're going to just be proactive and uh, make sure that this uh, law is complied with. The sheriff says he's already met with the head of the State Department of Health. That's the agency in charge of writing the guidelines for medical marijuana in Arizona. As it stands now, there will be at least 40 dispensaries in Maricopa County. I'll be looking over uh, uh, their shoulder. 
not trying to harass them, to just make sure mm -hmm. that they're complying with the uh, state laws, the rules and regulations. Very simple. Although he may not agree with medical marijuana, the sheriff says he will not stand in the way of those operating legitimately and legally. I'm Andrew Hasbin, Fox 10 News. Mm -hmm. Sure, Joe. Uh, see, so that depends on whether they're like doing stings and tapping phones. I mean, like, okay, well, you know. so you go to a dispensary as a cop and you walk in the door <laughs> and you maybe occasionally send patients in there and verify that they go through the right process or something to, to <laughs> register patients. I mean, dispensaries, all they're doing is looking for whatever the state card or reg or recommendation and then having you fill out paperwork and telling you about the rules and whatever, whatever of the dispensary. Um, so they want to, I mean, is that what he's wants to do? Make sure that everyone that, or is he actually talking yeah. about questioning the credibility of every customer that comes in the door and like being no, like, well, it's you know, now that therein lies the slippery slope, just like you were saying before. Uh, he, he says that he's going to do the former, but there's a good potential and people are watching, expecting the likelihood that it'll end up slipping into the, the ladder. Um, it's not up to the cops. He, it's not up to the cops to determine uh, the legality of a recommendation. Well, it's up to the know, think, doctors. I think the first indicator that there might be a potential for this not to work out too well is that he's coupled with the former head of the Arizona DEA. And we know how straightforward and honest those guys are. So I don't know. I don't know what the DEA doesn't know anything to do but harass and buzz people. So I don't know really how this is going to roll, but we'll keep Neither an eye on it. Neither does this guy. Neither does this guy. Yeah. We should keep an eye on this because it's going to come back yeah. up because there's going to be some cowboy type crap in there going on. So speaking of the cowboys and the, all those, all the, all the, the police out there. We're going to have our, finally have our interview with uh, your professor, right? We're about to get uh, Professor Ray Gilliam on the line. Is that right? And we talk do. about we uh, criminal justice and uh, police and pot and politics, right? Yes, that's right. Um, he's a criminal justice professor. Um, he, his specialty is in the area of drugs and alcohol and crime, um, race, um, class and, and crime, uh, relationship, um, things, uh, that pretty much a lot of the things that we talk about on the program. So I thought, you know what, I don't know how good it'll work out. I don't know if we'll get any clarity on this issue, but I, it just, it, it beats me to death wondering I know the cops. We talked this about this a lot on the show. I know that I know the cops see what's going on. They see the truth. Why aren't more of them standing up? And why are so many of them like hostile to any kind of change in uh, in, in marijuana policy? I don't get it. So uh, anyway, we'll see if he's got some additional insight for us. Uh, let's give him a call and see what we can do. Hey, Professor Gilliam. Yes. Hey, it's Jamie from uh, the Cannabis Agenda. Hey, how are you? On our program, we talk a lot a bit about a lot about cops, and we talk a lot about policy reform. And the question comes up time and time again. And uh, I pose this to you uh, in my initial contact as a kind of a two two faceted question here. The first part is why in the world? I mean, we know these cops are are working around these uh, cannabis users, and and they're the ones that make the arrests. They see this stuff firsthand, and they know how threatening, or in this case, lack of lack of a threat, you know, is posed by by cannabis. Why why don't more cops? stand up or speak out about this. And on the backside of that uh, is kind of another side of that question. How come so many cops are so hostile toward any kind of change, policy reform change? 
and uh, you can break those up or put them together however you wish. No, let's just um, let me address the first one, um, okay. and then maybe kind of redirect me to the second one. Um, go ahead and ask the first one again, just so I'm I I don't drift into the second one at all because I I think I'd like to treat them separately. Sure, uh, sure, no problem at all. Well, we're, we the first one. what we're saying is. How come, how come police officers don't speak out more about the, the laws and about the discrepancy in the way that, you know, the, the cannabis isn't causing any deaths. It's not a, a life-threatening situation, yet it, it leads by a, by a wide margin in the amount of drug arrests that happen. And a lot of people are getting sure. messed up over these, you know, altercations right. with the law. And, and we know police officers see this. And we, we would expect, we would assume that they would be honest people if they're police officers in the first place. Right. We know how that goes, right. but, you know, we, th- that's fair to assume. So why don't they speak out more? What's, what's the, is there, is from a criminal justice professor's perspective, is there any, sure. is there any, logic to this can you can you lend us anything for this oh yeah no yeah i I think there's a lot of ways to answer that question um probably the first and foremost answer that i think um well it's probably the the easiest answer is there's a lot of internal pressure um inside the ranks of policing to not step out of line so to speak or to not Mm -hmm. take a stance that might be different from the status quo or different from, let's say, the company line. Uh, one of the difficult things about researching uh, criminal justice matters is researching things about the police, uh, gaining access to the police is uh, not always easy. Um, right. It's Just because of that culture. Yeah, there's a very internalized kind of self-protection um, of that organization, you know, of, of policing as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so I think for police officers, um, in, in talking and knowing police officers when they're both on duty and off duty, there's really, um, there's a difference there. Uh, an on duty police officer is much different a lot of times than an off duty police officer. And there's also mm-hmm. the issue of age. The, the older police officers get the more, exposure to different things, the more, I hate to say liberal their ideas might get, but they, right. they do soften their stances at times. But I, I do think there's an internal, uh, maybe a control mechanism that keeps police officers from stepping out into maybe an unprotected opinion, you know, and, right. and in essence, putting their neck on the line. Um, and you see it with these, types of organizations, you see it in the military, you know, you don't see, uh, military, uh, you know, anybody really in the military come out and speak against any type of war. Um, but you can guarantee that if you were to speak to them individually, speak to them off the record in a protective environment, you could, you could definitely find uh, opinions with much variation. Um, but when you get them on the record, uh, it's a much different thing. It's a it's a much more protected uh, value, I guess, is a way to put it. It's just uh, self interest. They're they're protecting their job, in other words. Am um, I reading that right? On an individual level, yeah, you can. Uh, yeah, one of the things about policing and, and similar organizations is if you get a reputation, if you get a, if people start to view you as someone who is drastically different, and and which would be a very drastic departure from mm. the status quo of drug law enforcement. 
um, you could find yourself, you know, you could be putting yourself at risk. Um, uh, uh, maybe not, not but, at physical risk, just risk of, you know, then the Cheech and drawing. Chong jokes ensue, and they make fun of them, make well, little comments here and there. The bad shifts or drawing, you know, drawing the ire of, of supervisors. It's just it's, it's towing the company line, um, and we see it in all walks of life. I see it with what right. I do. I'm sure students yeah. see it with what they do because I know you're a student, Jamie. Um, mm-hmm. But it's even more pronounced in a in a situation like policing or in a job like policing, where you know mm-hmm. their job is to enforce laws. Um, but on a, on another kind of spin on it that I, I that, and I don't know, I've not, I've listened to some of your shows, but not all of them. And I don't know if this is a theme that has occurred, but one thing that I think to keep in mind, and I don't think it, it, the answer that I gave you there is kind of on a, on a micro level, on a very individual level, but from a, from a bigger scale approach, one thing that, you know, I teach my students and that, that I think people need to keep in mind is that drug law enforcement is good for business. You know, mm-hmm. if you're, if your business is policing, if your business right. is criminal justice, um, having those laws to enforce is good for business. It keeps people employed. It, it's a it's a growth industry, um, and right. and I think that's something that uh, needs to be remembered. You know, it is. Mm-hmm. You know, we spend a lot of money. You know, state to state, federally on policing, corrections, criminal justice related issues and matters. Um, and if you if you go and you tinker with that and you start to change the way business is done, um, it's going to you know, you change something at the top, adjustments are gonna be made or have to be made, you know, throughout the course of uh, of that of that path of, you know, enforcing the law you know, arresting, sending people through the court system, ultimately sending people, you know, whether it be prison or probation or some other type of sentencing, um, alternative form of sentencing, um, you would have to adjust. And I think that's one reason you don't see, you see an unwillingness to change is it's, mm-hmm. is it's good for business. I mean, they keeps a lot of people employed, you know, and, I, and, I, and it's a terrible way to look at it, but I think there's some truth to that. Is that the is that the primary reason? Do you think, in your opinion, um, why so many police officers and and so many in the criminal justice uh, arena in general uh, tend to be so hostile against any kind of policy um, reform because of change? I don't think that's the reason they're hostile in terms of it being bad for business. I think when the hostility, I, and I don't think any, I've never. I've never spoken to a police officer or a judge or any one affiliated with the criminal justice system that actually speaks from a perspective of, we can't do this because it would, it would hurt our bottom end. Um, um, but at the end of the day, you can't deny that it would, but I addressing right. the issue of hostility. I think, I think there's a tremendous fear of the unknown. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think, you know, many people in that line of work, can visualize, can, can see a day, um, where the drug laws would be drastically different. You know, they, they, they didn't live through, um, the prohibition era, um, Mm. where, you know, the government tried to control alcohol. It failed miserably. It created more problems. There are very similar parallels with how, especially since the 1970s, how drug laws have tried to be enforced. Um, you know, the, the war on drug effort, you know, it's very difficult to fight a war against an abstract, uh, 
concept. You know, it's much sure. easier to fight a war against a, 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 a person or a, a country. So we're fighting a war on drugs, which, which is a very unwinnable concept. It's a vague, um, open-ended, money-making Yeah, scheme. vague, open-ended concept, yeah. And you've got, gotcha. you've got people who, that's all they've grown up with. They've grown up with this, you know, they, they, they were born into this mindset. They don't, and they don't know the history of, of what it was like before um, this sort of regulation went into effect. You know, definitely full steam regulation, you know, that we attached to the war on drugs. And so I think right. it's a lot of fear of the unknown, of, of how, you know, how, how would our jobs change? How would our lives change? Would this mean more headaches? Would it mean more more of anything or less of anything that would affect them in a negative manner. And I, I think a lot of it is the fear of the unknown because nobody you think really that puts they know, Wouldn't you? Again? I'm sorry to interrupt, but wouldn't you think no, no, that no, they, know, they, they work with this day in and day out. They see it. They know, they know. And they're, they're routinely saying, listen, we're not, lawmakers we're not we're law enforcers specifically that's what we do they make yeah. the laws you guys if you want to change something you go out there and change it through the system and then that law will be dictated to us we will be uh, led to enforce the existing laws and that's all we do we don't get involved in policy but yet every time a cannabis uh, related uh, piece of legislation pops up the cops the criminal justice system as a whole comes out of the wood Work. And not only do they do that in in in, in solid, you know, strong opposition, you know, most of the time. I mean, the established uh, law enforcement community, but but they're also a, a key player. They're one of the strongest uh, players involving with, with you know. I mean, they they tip the vote a lot because people look and they say, "Wow, the whole criminal justice system is standing out against this. We're going to vote no." Well, and I and I isn't that a double I standard wish. in your mind? I don't know if I'd call it a double standard. I, I think one of the difficult things about this, and I, you know, I know this is your 50th show, and I, and I think that's what's, sure. what's wonderful about it being your 50th show is there's just, you guys know how complex this issue is. There's not, there's not just one answer. You know, I, I think there's, I think there's an internal, not perception because it's not a perception, but there's an internal movement within policing that they need to err on the side of, let's say conservative justice. Sure. If that makes sense. Right. And so when, when something like legalization comes forward, even if there's individuals that may on a personal level, not agree with it, the collective, group dynamic can oftentimes trump that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes total so sense. Essence, I get it. They're, so they're pulling essence, the status quo. You may, you may have officers, I just to, just to kind of paint an analogy, you may have officers, if there's an illegalization uh, movement in a, in a particular area, a particular state, and you have officers come out and actually protest, that's not just because they're protesting in, in the in the view of, or, in, uh, you know, under the veil of we're police officers and that's what we're protesting under on an individual level, they very well may not agree with it, you know, and, and I, and I, you could, police officers have to play that double life, you know, of what, when they represent, when do they represent their own beliefs and when do they represent, represent the beliefs of the people that they serve? 
you know. Wow. And and it's a it's an odd role. Um, I know. Police uh, officers I know. Have to really deal with a very strange role in that regard. There's three of them. Well, including yourself, sir. There's four of us right on 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 the, on the line right now that they all serve supposedly. So my question to in, in a in a in a really broad sense is, and I know you can't answer this one in fairness. I know you don't. You no, know, no, nobody ahead. can. But but my question is, if 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 they're supposed to serve us, how is that fair when they're playing politics and kind of forming their own little closed system, their own little. You know what I mean? I mean, I know for security purposes and for them to be able to be effective police officers, they can't make their whole, air, you know, air all their business out sure. in public. And but that that whole cop kind of criminal justice culture that keeps the pressure on and keeps everybody kind of marching to the same beat. Hopefully, the, I don't. I just I don't know. Maybe it's my opinion. What do you guys think? I think that that's that's unjust, and I don't think that's fair. And I think that we're a big part of what pays these guys a salary. I know that's cliche to say that, but I mean, we expect that they would, you know, to protect and serve. They're talking about sure. the populace. They're talking about people. They're not talking about to right. protect and serve our, our own institution. And I don't well, know. Well, I think the, the unfortunate thing about this is, is people that, you know, would fall in line in support of, of, of this show Unfortunately, are still a very, even if they're not as numerically as a minority group as they once were, it's mm. still not as vocal of a of a supportive base as it right. needs to be. If that does that make sense? Yeah, I like um, the word. I like the way you put needs in there. Right. It, it the this movement needs there needs to be less stigma associated with this movement. People need to be able to speak more freely. Um, and I think that's one of the most unfortunate things about the legalization movement is it's still marijuana still is lumped in with all of the other illegal drugs, methamphetamine, uh, you know, cocaine, crack cocaine, heroin, you know, the list goes on and on. Stuff that um, actually that, destroys people and kills people. Well, that, that I've seen, you know, with, with, with research that I've conducted, that I've seen, you know, a definite mm. just visible, noticeable difference between your people that have been lifetime users of things like heroin and methamphetamine versus someone who's a regular user of cannabis or marijuana. Um, right. I, but it gets lumped in with that. It doesn't get lumped in with things like alcohol or tobacco use. Mm. And so it okay. still is a part of this, what I would call unjust stigma. Um, and, sure. and, and, and don't forget, you know, when you're talking about policing, you know, we're, we're also talking about people who, you know, they don't sit and they don't necessarily think about things in the most logical manner. You know, they don't take the time to do that. It's, it's a, the job doesn't actually, you know, reward that. And, you know, they have to make very quick decisions about things and their lives revolve around these quick decisions. And and they don't sit around and probably think about uh, as much as they should about mm -hmm. the differences between the drugs. You know, it's it just everything right. gets lumped together. It's it's all well, those illegal. are and those are all good reasons. Things. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Uh, I was going to say that's one of the things that this movement that you guys are doing is so nice is that mm -hmm. it it helps just in times kind of detach that negative stigma that goes with the illegal drugs and kind of removes cannabis from that discussion somewhat. 
because um, that's really at the end of the day what it's going to take. It's going to take right. you know more people having more education about what this is, you know, what mm-hmm. this issue is and what this what this drug is. Um, right. Before you're ever going to see police officers come out and say, "Hey, yeah, we're in complete favor." You know, and, and, and I know you're uh, pressed for time here, but on the, no, no, uh, before you get going, there's there's one thing I want to ask first. Do you have anything to plug at all? Anything? We always give a no, uh, no, no, something. Okay, no. just want to give you the opportunity now. On a, on a, no, no, I as, appreciate a, it. Uh, as a parting comment, I want to ask you this. Um, in your opinion, just you know, I know that there's no sure, factual sure, basis for this, but in your opinion, do with 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 uh, an honest discourse. Um, if we're able to achieve an honest discourse and with the, with the kind of trickle down of information and the, and the heightened uh, level of awareness that, that people are starting to adopt about cannabis, um, you know, they, they communicate with police officers too. Do you think, do you foresee in the future uh, maybe that melting down, that, that hardcore melting down a little bit where they start to listen to this a little bit more and realize that maybe they can maybe they can uh, afford to make some changes or allow changes to happen or at least not vehemently fight against them you think that that's a trend that might change in the future i do i think you you, you honestly do well you had something well i do with a caveat you Uh-oh. you brought up honest discourse and that's sure. a major problem with this issue um there's there's never been honest discourse back when um, and I'm sure this has been part of your shows, but back when, um, you know, the FBI helped fund reefer madness and back sure. when the, the drug laws were first changed, there was no honest discourse then, um, right. you know, things were, things were all done, um, as a movement to make marijuana illegal in the first place, right. um, through very dishonest discourse, you know, let's just, yeah. you know, staying with those words. Mm-hmm. If honest discourse can be achieved, sure. I, I, I think so. Um, I, I think one thing going uh, in this movement favor is the fact that California is a state that has has made great strides um, in this movement. And sure. California, historically, has always been kind of a... Trendsetter. Uh, yeah, it's a trendsetter state. It is a gold standard state. It's a state where, you know, no matter what the trend or the fad, whether it be skateboarding or movie making or whatever... Sure it is a place where people turn to, to see what's next. Uh, and, and I think people are watching what happens in the state of California. Um, right. is it going to happen fast enough for the people that are in support of this movement? No, not at all. Um, but I think if, if things continue to go well in the state of California, one, it'll provide models. It'll provide models, kind of a right. how to model for other, let's just say progressive states, to you know, follow, which has happened. You know, they, you know, it's, it's, sure. it's there are other states out there that have that are doing what California does, but California is the one, as we all know, that receives the attention. And so, if mm-hmm. things if things continue to progress in a in a good way in the state of California, it will have a positive effect in other places throughout the country. Where it won't right. be every state, um, and I don't know if there'll ever be, especially in the near future, a federal lifting of of laws in, in, uh, right. for, for cannabis. But I think what Cal- what has happened in California with the publicity and the notoriety that goes with these types of things in the state of California, I think that yeah. can do nothing but help. Um, yeah, I think that changed it, the face of the discussion forever. Sure, yeah, it does. Um, and I think, excellent. in answering your question, 
it, it's got to be about the honest discussion. Um, and, and one of the problems is a researcher, really? and, and as, as someone whose research you wish could drive policy, the biggest problem here is policymakers ignore what we say. Um, and policymakers completely ignore what researchers like myself and researchers that research sociological and criminology and criminal justice issues, they oftentimes, or more times than not, ignore what we have to say about issues uh, uh, and, and go with what they, they ask think you. plays well. So. They'll ask you in case it benefits them, and when they don't like the answer, they go, okay, never mind. Well, it's just, it's, it's like punishment laws. Um, there's yeah. lots of research out there that show better ways to punish, more appropriate ways to punish, more efficient ways to punish people, um, but that doesn't play well politically. Um, politicians are about getting elected, and the last thing they can ever run on is a ticket of appearing soft on crime. Um, right. and, and, you know, heaven forbid... You know, one of us, you know, pub, you know, somebody publishes something that shows a more efficient, uh, more humane manner of punishment, something that would be more effective, but that doesn't play well politically. And things like that happen all the time um, between the, the breakdown between research and policy making. Um, and politicians ignore a lot of the research that, you know, is out there. They just choose to ignore it. Um, and I think a lot of that is the same with drug laws. You know, they treat right. all these drugs equally the same, um, as opposed to, um, you know, they're not, all those drugs are not equal. Um, right. I don't know if it's ever come up on your show, but one of the most, and this would be something, you know, down the line, not for today's show, but investigate how the federal government handled, um, um, ecstasy, um, mm -hmm. your MDNA, um, how the federal government handled that um, drug when it was actually legal at one point. It could be prescribed. Right. It, was, it was actually in bars, wasn't it? It was distributed oh, in yeah, bars yeah, and there's, stuff. There's, yeah. And, and so it's, uh, there's a lot of, poly, you know, it, so that honest discourse is, is something that I think is, that's the big caveat there. If we could get that, yes. sure, they're, they're tremendous drives. All and right. Well, that's really a. Quickly. So. I tell the quagmire to to kind of climb through, but you know we're going to keep at it. Yeah, and, and I apologize, Jamie. I wish I had sexy, wonderful sound bit answers or something like that. But I, yeah, you know, I, you know what? Really Welcome to the movement. The answer. I know, I know. So, so <laughs> none of it's sexy. Yeah, you know what's no, less sexy? No Taking my friend you know, to jail for a cannabis cigarette—that's less sexy. You know, my, my aunt Bertha getting arrested because she has some serious arthritis and she's using <laughs> cannabis to mitigate disabling circumstances. That's, right. that's, that's, you know, very, very much less than sexy. So we'll keep up our end oh, of the bargain. And, and you uh, guys full on know that there's no simple answer to any of this. You know, if there right. was, you guys wouldn't be 50 shows in and still, you know, going at it. Right. So, right. Um, right. so anyway, I will, uh. I guess I will step away now, uh, unless you have anything okay. else for me. Any other questions? Not at all. We want to thank you again for joining us, and okay. uh, maybe we'll check in down the road uh, with you if yeah, you have some more time, questions man. and uh, get this okay. going. Yeah, if you find any cops that want to speak out, let us know. We'll love to have them on the show. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, we have a rest of uh, a great rest of the show. Excellent. Thank you much, sir. Take care. Thank yeah. you, Professor. Bye -bye. We appreciate it. All right. Well, shoot, that went pretty well too. I think, uh, I think, uh, it's, it's interesting to put these kind of questions, uh, before people that spend a great deal of time doing serious, like actual research in these areas, you know, research. Um, they're inside. <laughs> yeah. Their insights not necessarily, uh, 
you know, street smart. What did he say? Sexy and, and you know, <laughs> fancy, flashy answers, you know, it, but, but it, it, you know, it helps us to glean some, um, some better accuracy about, you know, when we're thinking through these situations and, and better understand stuff. So we we'll really thank uh, Professor Gilliam for coming on. Um, he's yeah. a professor at U of I, um, a criminal justice professor, and hopefully we'll uh, be able to consult with him later on some more questions. I'm sure we'll have plenty more questions to ask uh, down the road. So, uh, that uh, we appreciate it. Thanks, sir. International insanity. <laughs> Sorry, I think we should go with <laughs> most of that one too. <laughs> yeah, Except the end, maybe. <laughs> it's time for the sound bites that go into these things. Seriously, like it'll make <laughs> it'll make our, our job producing the show so much easier. And it's just like I don't know. I yeah. like it. You know, not then we'll have more than just the ding sounds like the bing and then the yeah. International insanity. Ah! <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we got a got a clip to mention that's on the um page notes. Uh looks like a Canadian judge has thrown out the religious challenge to marijuana laws. Um so I'm not sure what that exactly means. Apparently, this clip is too long for us to play on here. Did you? Did you guys? Who who put this one on here? Yeah, I put it, I put it on here. It's you well, know, it's just uh, um, some people who were I think they were selling selling marijuana. It's basically the the Hawaii story, but in Canada. Um, and they tried to use their religious. Uh, yeah, they tried to use the religious, religious defense. No, actually, in this case, the the judge found that they were credible. And uh, said that it just simply doesn't meet the the standard of the law, and so she, they didn't. But the judge was blatantly, you know, outwardly saying, "Look, I understand. I believe that you guys are legitimate, and you're really using this as a sacrament. It just it it doesn't the religious uh, still illegal." And, it, it, yeah, it doesn't supersede the illegality of this substance, and so yeah. unfortunately, their approach didn't work. But you know it. She she sided with them in in principle, but she said unfortunately the law doesn't agree with us, and and y'all are gonna get in some trouble. So it's unfortunate stuff that's happening. Mm. Uh, yeah, the, know, there's a the lot clip, of the clips on the website too, so you can, you can watch mm. the clip if you guys want to. Um, mm-hmm. That sucks, dude. But it does. Know. It does for sure. Yeah, and I wonder if that's the same thing they're gonna say about the THC ministry. So we'll see. We will see. What's the deal here? We got a Canadian doctor cautioned not to prescribe pot. Yeah, yeah. There's some iffy stuff going on there. Um, you know, it, it's been legal for years in in Canada, but you try to get a prescription in some places, it's next to impossible. Medical marijuana has come; it's become kind of an oxymoron in uh, most of the country of Canada. The uh, the recreational non medical kinds available almost anywhere you go. You can get that, but patients say finding a doctor uh, to prescribe it is uh, pretty difficult, far more difficult. In fact, in Edmonton, for example, a spokesman for the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta said members are cautioned not to prescribe marijuana and me- for, uh, for medical purposes. And then they say they're free to disregard that advice, <laughs> but if they do, they should follow the guidelines outlined by Health Canada. In truth, if they do, they harass and bully any doctor who signs the papers. So it's a, it's an unfortunate situation and uh, it really sucks, frankly. 
So we'll keep an eye on what's going on over there in Canada. And it looks like the the conservative mindset, and I don't think that that's necessarily the, the right way to put it, actually. Let me rephrase that because conservative mindset might be fiscally conservative, might be some good kind of conservatives. But uh, in this case, it's it's uh, socially conservative. It's uh, progressively conservative. It's it's the pretty much uh, right-wing Republican uh, party line agenda that the power players um, within that, you know, arena in this country are pushing and they've infiltrated the Canadian government. There's a new, so, uh, much more conservative government up there. And so they're, they're trying to change things from the inside. It's really kind of like a cancer or something. I mean, it's unbear, it's unbelievable. And uh, we definitely want to make sure people keep uh, apprised of what's happening up there, up North where my kin folks were from hundreds of years ago. <laughs> And that's an interesting process. <laughs> for sure. Do they it actually is, uh, prescribe pot in Canada? Or well, that's, they what get- they, that's what they refer to it. Um, I don't know uh, how their actually laws are written to say that or not, but the doctor says it. So I guess they just assume that they mean the doctor's prescribing it. I don't know if there's a, if there's a difference up there. Hey, maybe we have some Canadian listeners that can uh, clarify that for us a little bit more. That would be awesome. Send it in to cannabisagenda.com. Um, in the meantime, um, more mess from Egypt. I hate these stories. I hate these stories. This is an ugly story. Well, you know, this is a, we'll make this one somewhat brief. The story is a little bit longer than we're going to spend a lot of time on from our friends at stopthedrugwar.org. If you haven't been there, go check that out for sure. This one's from Philip Smith. He's talking about a serious situation. Mustafa Solomon, pretty decent guy from all I can read about the guy, but uh, he's a U.S. citizen. And he's, he was jailed as a drug trafficker in Egypt uh, last December he, after he imported a shipment of non-drug hemp oil. And uh, he was freed late last month when uh, mobs of protesters overran the prisons across Cairo. Of course, you've seen uh, Egypt in the news, a little bit up in uh, arms and chaotic there in that area right now. But uh, he operates, uh, Mustafa Solomon is named, Mr. Solomon operates a company called Health Harvest. And uh, he's so far been refused a new passport by the U.S. Embassy in Cairo, which means he cannot leave the country. He's stuck over there. And here's the worst, most disgusting part of this story right here. As I said, you can check out the rest if you want to go to our site. But, but the, the, the crux of this issue is what makes this so important for us is that he's facing a possible death penalty. If convict if convicted of drug trafficking, which they're trying to charge Jeez, him with for, for hemp oil. We'd be like freaking out about this if it was for a truckload of pot, but this is actually for a small uh, shipment of uh, hemp oil. Even if it was a truckload of pot, whoa, man, whoa. This is the kind of stuff Sheriff Joe Arpaio would be down with. Chopping off people. This is the kind of story he probably reads and chuckles and goes, (laughs) I wish we We could do that. I wish wish we could just (laughs) stick all these dopers out in tents and let them rot. Yep. Doper. He said it. Terrible story. Out there. Yeah, Jeez. we hope the best for that guy, man. Just keep we'll keep him in our sights, keep what's going on in that situation. Uh, report on that later too. We're going over to the, the Pacific Northwest, are we not? Pot in the Pacific Northwest. What what? What what? <laughs> yeah, we got a clip here. It- it's a single single clip, but it's about two different stories in uh Washington. A twofer, um, a twofer, twofer in one. Uh, we got the Seattle Hemp Fest. They're trying to get some, uh, figure out where they're going to have the festival next year because apparently 
uh, <laughs> well, you'll hear it in the clip. The city kind of kind of stepped on their uh, <laughs> their calendar, and um, uh, a Washington judge is allowing ma- uh, a man to exceed the state's medical uh, uh, limits for cultivation. So okay. we shall hear about this. The Seattle mayor's office says it's working with organizers of Hemp Fest to get the venue they want for their 20th anniversary celebration. We told you yesterday that Hemp Fest organizers sued, claiming the city scheduled a construction project at Myrtle Edwards Park specifically to conflict with Hemp Fest. Now, the mayor's office says it supports the pro-marijuana gathering, which is the largest of its kind in the world. And the southwest Washington man who grew marijuana for a dying cancer patient today was acquitted of drug charges. A judge said that Mark Hensley of Vancouver could legally have 133 marijuana plants way above the state limit of 15 because he produced cannabis oil for the dying patient. And the oil requires a lot of marijuana. (laughs) So, wow. Yeah. Not bad news. Not terrible. Nope, nope, nope. Working it out up in Washington. That's a good one. Uh, so it was a big deal. 133 plants for for oil. Is that what kind of oil are we talking about? <laughs> Serious crude oil. I wonder what the yeah. I wonder what the specifics on that <laughs> was. That sounds like a. I know what like kind. A, yeah. Awesome yeah. oil. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Super awesome oil. Super awesome oil. Put you on your ass oil. It's it sounds like the stuff that uh who was the guy from Canada that was uh has the oh I can't believe I can't remember his name. It just it's so um he's got that he's got a video out and he's actually in exile. Oh, right now so he's got a video out on the process of making hash oil. Oh, it's this thick oil. And he swears by it, man. And there's the guy, these guys are not cannabis culture type folks, man. They're just all, uh, you know, they're just regular people that had serious problems. And then this guy said, "Hey, look, try this." And they're 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 on the video proclaiming, "Holy smokes, man! It just really totally uh, cured me. It healed me." And uh, that's pretty like, dramatic. Is it an oil not- that you eat or that you cook or that yeah. you smoke? Yep. What do you, um, do you just in, ingest it? You know, you just eat it, and it, it shows it. It's pretty thick looking stuff. It's almost like they put it's halfway in, to. Do they paste. put it in pills or what? Do they put it in like capsules or what? I think they just put it on a spoon. From what, I, from what I could tell, I think that's how they do it, and they just eat it. But, um, I'm sure that you could probably put it, it in food. It's, yeah, just ugh. shove it in one of those donuts or something. Like get a get a jelly filled donut <laughs> and shove it in the middle and. Go to town. I don't know how they ingest it, frankly, but but yeah, well, that sounds some good stuff. 130 plant oil. It's 130 test. I I'm I'm kind of skeptical that it really requires to grow way more pot to make yeah. oil for a patient. What do you think? Sure. What do you think, Cogs? Uh, you know, I don't know. 100 120 plants for one patient. Um, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't for one. I think they were talking no, about a caregiver and not a patient himself, too. That's what it sounded they like. They were, but they were. But what they were saying was is that he had the right to grow more because he needed more to make the oil for that patient. Well, I agree with how that. Much, and I mean, I, how much oil is that guy ingesting? Really? I don't know. I mean, you know that oil can be made with, you know, I mean, it can go a long ways. I don't know that it really requires. What I'm saying is to, 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 for one patient to consume oil. And on a very regular basis, I'm not so sure that it really does require like 
pounds more of marijuana to make that happen. You know, like the extraction process is pretty efficient, isn't it? Well, I mean, regardless, I've heard about the same thing about, um, you know, people making edibles. They get uh, their doctor writes them a recommendation for more plants than, you know, the SB 420 limits or whatever. Um, yeah, I understand, but I'm just not sure that really the that it really works that way to like actually be able to ingest the amount of medicine you need that you actually need more camp. Now, I'm not an advocate of not having these laws more liberal. I'm just being real with my knowledge about, you know, cannabis and extraction. It doesn't I mean, you know, we've we've seen the process done before and we know how much you know, uh, it, it, well, what it if, produce. what if, what if, the, what if the caregiver, you know, they don't want to grow, you know, plants all year round, they're making hash oil for their patient for a year and they want to knock it out mm-hmm. all at once. Sure. That's interesting. Like, I'm but just saying like, like I, well, no, I'm, but like, like why, why do, why does the state got to step all over everyone's toes and, you know, get involved with the nitty gritty of their their workings to determine, you know, like how they should be running their business or whatever. I agree. Actually. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that. I too. agree. Hey, by the way, I, by the way that yeah. the guy's name was Rick Simpson. It's it, Rick Simpson. And is in the documentary is called run from the cure. And I highly recommend it. It's pretty interesting. And, and, uh, you can check out that oil he's using. It's some, it's some 130 test looking stuff. <laughs> Dude. My favorite oil is professionally extracted butane extract, honey oil, glass, whatever you call it. Bomb. Wow. It's good. It's got to be done right, though. (laughs) Got to be done right. No smoking of butane. And it's a very, very unsafe uh, thing to be doing to people. So do not, it's not something for anyone to get into. So, um, all right. Let's uh, move on to Michigan. Um, Mm Looks like the attorney general in Michigan is starting to uh, spew some of his opinions on uh, medical marijuana, and it sounds uh, sounds similar to what they're saying in Montana. Is the law being exploited? That's his opinion. You got a clip for it? Yeah, here. I'll play it right now. Medical marijuana, is it being abused? That's a hot topic for police chiefs from across the state. They're convening in Grand Rapids talking about the tough issues they face. Tonight, Michigan's new attorney general addressed the chiefs in 24-hour news dates. Tony Talivia asked him about the new pot law. Tony? Susie and Brian, we know that in at least one West Michigan community, leaders say it was concerns from law enforcement that led to a ban on medical marijuana. Tonight, before he addressed the chiefs, the new attorney general told us he thinks the law is being abused. The intent of this was for those who are going through an incurable illness or you know, a very difficult disease, but it's been exploited by those uh, who really are, are making a mockery of laws across the state of Michigan. And new Michigan Attorney General Bill Schuette says he is confident the new state legislature will work to, in his words, correct a law he calls poorly crafted and loosely written. And that's why we see all the problems that municipalities and law enforcement and communities are experiencing across our state. The law has prompted plenty of court action. There's the Wyoming lawyer suing his city for banning medical marijuana. And there's the medical marijuana patient who worked at Walmart and sued the retail giant after he failed a drug test and lost his job. 
He says he was never high while working. Critics charge that communities and companies are violating the intent of voters who passed the law in 2008. Schutte says there are forces out there looking to twist the law in the other direction to effectively legalize marijuana in Michigan. That would be a big mistake for our state. The Attorney General's remarks come as the state is looking to cut more than a billion dollars from its budget. Schutte told both us and the Chiefs that in terms of cutting costs, he wants to see prison services like food, maintenance, laundry and health care put up for bid rather than cutting costs by releasing prisoners earlier. That drew applause from the Chiefs. Brian? Thank you, Tony. Uh, more of the same. I think, uh, you notice he said this will be a bad thing. They're trying to twist it. You know what I say? Forget all this nonsense. Forget all this trouble. And why don't we just get a legalization law uh, legislation on the ballot in Michigan and let people decide what's going on? I think the time is coming soon and we won't have to put up with this stuff. In the meantime, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, people, uh, hi- you know, you have to understand the attorney general. That's the highest ranking officer. This is in their criminal justice system, you know. So he's a yeah. criminal justice guy. And we heard, we heard from the professor just just moments ago. We just got off the, the line with him telling us that, you know, there's this there's this kind of a status quo that they kind of have to pull. And there's tons of pressure from every direction to make sure they keep doing that and keep maintaining that status quo. And, and you know, so I don't know. In this case, it didn't sound to me like he was necessarily pulling a status or, you know, I don't doubt that they that that's the case. But I think in his in his individual case, he he seemed like he was pretty comfortable saying that's a bad idea. It's a bad idea to have, you know, legally free, accessible cannabis in this state. So it's just going to be something we have to contend with. You know, these things are going to keep happening. They're going to keep frustrating us, and we're just going to have to keep fighting it. It's, I think it's kind of almost a war of tenacity at this point because we have facts. We're going to keep uh, fighting for, you know, it's it's a shame we spent all this energy. And, you know, all this stuff runs on raw human energy. And mm-hmm. uh, we spent all this energy, most of it, just getting through the crap. And it's intentional. They know that. Just getting through the crap to get to a point where we can finally start fighting for an honest discourse. And, yeah. you know, we found ways along the line, uh, you know, throughout you know, the last several decades to to initiate that honest discourse with them or without them and get these things rolling. And it's just going to be an uphill battle. And you got to keep fighting guys like this guy right here. I mean, he's 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 kind of a morph. He's half doing his job and half kind of overzealous about the whole issue, um, the cannabis related issue. So it's 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 a bad it's a bad scene I think and uh, you know it's uh, he did mention um, our next case or our next story I mean is the uh, the the Joseph Cassius case you remember him right we we um, featured him on the show as well um, that's the guy that uh, he worked at Walmart you know it, it really kicks me in the in the in the teeth to to think about they t- they tell you you know get be a be an upstanding person be legitimate, go out and get an honest job and work for a living and don't just go there and, and, you know, slouch off in the corner somewhere and get fired repeatedly, you know, stand up and be a good employee. Well, here's Joseph Cassius. He does not only does that, but he got employee of the year and everybody there liked him. He was a great guy and he always showed up for work. He was a a celebrated employee of this Walmart there in in, uh, Michigan. And he got fired. If you haven't followed this story, I don't know how you could have missed this one. But if you missed it, he uh, he did. 
what did he have? Uh, a serious brain cancer, a huge tumor in his head, and a, a couple other really, really serious. He's gravely ill with this stuff, but he's still functional, and he he still you know can get up every day. And he goes, he used to well, he used to go to work before they fired him because he used medical cannabis, and it was the only thing that helped him out. Well, they didn't, they weren't down with that over there at Wally World, and they they sent him packing. And there's a big uh, case ensued, and just recently, um, I'm very sorry to report that. Uh, a judge uh, denied him and said that yes, this uh, Walmart does have the right to to fire somebody under this pretense. It was um, the ruling was a twenty page ruling uh, issued on uh, February eleventh from U.S. District Court Judge Robert Jonker. He said the law doesn't mandate that businesses like Walmart make accommodations for employees like Cassius, like Cassius, the and uh, the Battle Creek Walmart's two thousand and eight Associate of the Year who he was. Uh, he was fired from his job for testing positive for weed. Um, he never ingested uh, cannabis at work. He never worked under the influence of weed. He just uh, had cannabis in his system and they did a test and said, that's it. Well, at least, I don't know. I wanted to say thankfully, but marginally so. Um, the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, has stepped in and said it will appeal this decision by that federal judge and to uh, dismiss its lawsuit filed in June uh, against Walmart and manager of its Battle Creek, Michigan store. So we'll see how that goes and keep following it. But so far, there's a serious bump in the road for this gentleman, and our our heart and thoughts go uh, go out go out to him. That's uh, that's a bum ass deal, man. How about that? So bright up your day. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it sucks. Well, at least they got an appeal process to go through, so uh, it's not it over is. yet. But uh, yeah, that's uh, I, when we when we first covered that story. That's where I thought that might go. So well, good yeah. thoughts out to that way for that gentleman, and um, hopefully yep. it'll work out. We'll uh, keep you that's guys true. informed on it when there's any changes to that story. All right, rolling into the Midwest here. Quick, really quick mention here. The Illinois General Assembly. Um, it's Senator. Let me see here. William R. Hain has re-sponsored a Senate bill, um, medical marijuana. It's a medical cannabis program. It's called SB 1548. It's in there. It's the companion bill for the House bill that we've reported on already. Keep an eye on that as things develop. It's good news for Illinois, possibly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More good news in Rhode Island from East Coast Scoop, too, right? Yeah, we've got a uh, a clip here. Potential. Um, potentially, yeah. There, it, yeah, we always ha- often we have to put that word in there. It's an essential part of our statement <laughs> to make it accurate. Potentially, right, like the- we almost consider it a victory when legislatures just talk about marijuana. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. You know. So- in, in, in a small way, it really kind of it, it is. You right. Know, it's unfortunate to say, but. Yeah. yeah, this uh, Rhode Island bill would decriminalize less than an ounce of uh, pot. And we have a clip, I think, about this one, don't we? Yes, we do. Looks like another state yeah. lawmaker wants to ease up on punishments for marijuana. Senator Joe's, excuse me, Joshua Miller, that is, introduced a bill that would decriminalize small amounts of marijuana. Under it, possession of one ounce or less of pot by first-time offenders would be a civil offense punishable by a $150 fine. Second-time offenders would face a $300 fine. And if caught again... They'd be faced with a misdemeanor. So Ooh. that's cool. A bit of decriminalization potential. Yeah, Good stuff. It's happening Good all over stuff. the place. Good stuff uh-huh. in Rhode Island. Ooh, bad stuff in Rhode Island. Bad, bad stuff, stuff in uh, Rhode Island. Very bad stuff. A pastor faces up to 40 years for cannabis cultivation. We got a clip for this, too. This is just awful. Yeah. 
A local pastor accused of growing too much medical marijuana is now facing federal charges. Eric Johansson and his girlfriend Lydia Brindemauer were arrested in September after police say they found more than 180 marijuana plants growing in a church on Providence Street in West Warwick. Johansson's medical marijuana card allows him to grow only 24. Now both suspects are being charged in federal court for conspiring to grow more than 100 marijuana plants. They each face up to 40 years in prison if convicted. Wow. She's reporting the news, I understand. But still, you know, 100, 100 plants. So he's four (laughs) times over the limit of illegal activity, and now he faces 40 years. That seems a little... uh... It seems it's like it's time for the seems like it's time for the feds to make a distinction between medical and non-medical marijuana states and go um yeah I don't know it's time for for some sort of you know it's like speeding basically you know you can drive yeah. 65 and you go 85 and you get a ticket or whatever and and if you drive absolutely recklessly you'll you know end up in jail and if you drive super recklessly and you kill someone you might end up in jail for a decent amount of time but but like you you speed basically with the amount of pot you grow and you're facing 40 years in prison wow it kind of wow. is that's a good example actually i like the analogy it's kind of like uh getting some drastic penalty for a speeding ticket. I mean, it's just amazing. But the children, you know, because you know that well, pastor were. was just down in his basement going, <laughs> five more weeks and the children yeah. will be mine. We'll oh get my them God. all he with was, our Dude, he, he was growing in a church. That's pretty hilarious though, really. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if they were ever thinking about, you know, wow, look at all the great things we can do for our uh, our church and Maybe they can buy any stuff and make their church really nice. I mean, God, that would be horrible, wouldn't it? Whoa. Crazy. Yeah. Topics. uh, Our last segment of the day. Uh, Topics worth Mm. barely any of our time. Um, Looks like we've got a mention here of a clip that's on the site. This is a more bad news for synthetic marijuana clip. We're not going to play it. Um, What's the story with it, Matt? Oh, it's the same. That's why we're not going to play it. It's the same as every other synthetic marijuana story we've covered. They're banning it. It's bad. It's bad, MK. Okay. Okay. And it looks like we've got uh oh, we've got the so here's your most recent pot viral video. The family feud recently one of their topics was name something that gets passed around. And if you know how the family feud works, um one family member from each family comes up and he asks the initial question and they get mm-hmm. a chance to answer. And uh, the person that dings in first gets to answer first. And then the other family gets to answer no matter what right after that. And the one that comes up with the answer that has them is higher on the ranking, meaning more people were surveyed for that. Their family gets to take the question <laughs> and answer the rest of the question. And the question was, name something that gets passed around. Let's hear the clip. guys here we go we got the top six answers are on the board name something that gets passed around chris a joint a joint (laughs) 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 (laughs)
Now, Chris, I don't know what hundred people you thought we were talking to at some nice little mall across good old America, but I'm pretty sure the people didn't tell the survey people, hey, an illegal drug. Let's turn around and see how many weed heads are out there with Chris. A joint! <laughs> it's number five. Uh-huh. Yeah. Eight out of a hundred, right? Uh, yeah, with eight. Uh huh. This is when you know we're going to hell. Okay, Tracy. Only four answers top it, so. The collection played at church. <laughs> Now she's got the halo, and I got the horns. <laughs> I, like I, like, I like the way you tried to stop us from going to hell. You, Mr. You Evil Boy, passing, passing around the little thing with this funny smell. Looking for some saving here. Church place. <laughs> and it comes in under the joint. It's, it's less than the joint. <laughs> This is not good. <laughs> I'm just going to do... You just go over there. They're going to play this. Yes, we are. <laughs> Whatever. Marijuana is better than religion. Deal with it, people. I don't like the association of marijuana and the devil. You're the devil for continuing the me free for madness is how I feel about that. I think it's funny that the joint came ahead of the collection plate at church. That's the funniest part. Yeah. But man, Mm -hmm. come on. This is when you know we are all going to hell. Weed heads and, you know, like going on with the banner. It's just, it's not really culturally sensitive to um, the reality in in the world and the amount of uh, cannabis use that actually exists, and it associates, he associates cannabis with the devil, and and I think that's just crazy for a man that apparently is a person of the Bible to just completely ignore the fact that there are several places in the Bible where potentially they're discussing the use of cannabis and in a positive light. So um, I guess I'm a devil worshiper. All right. <laughs> Satan, yeah. All right, all right, all right. Uh, that's uh, uh, cannabis agenda. Take fifty for y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a clip at the end of the show: marijuana versus crystal meth. Check it out after the outro. Um, please uh, let us know how we're doing. Uh, email us, call us, whatever. Um, questions, comments, scoops. Um, Stories, whatever, hit us up. Follow us on the social networks. Uh, follow along at our new revamped website, www.cannabisagenda.com. Uh, shoot us emails at um, info at cannabisagenda.com. You can call 707-654-CAN-C-A-N-N, which is numbers 2266. Uh, also, we are on iTunes. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Easy way to follow along on podcasts. And leave reviews there for us if you would as well. And uh, yeah, follow us. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook and uh, let your friends know about us, please. Guys, 
We uh, really, really appreciate all of you who are out there listening to this show and following along and participating and, and everything that you're all doing for this movement. It's very important. And it, uh, mm-hmm. this is, as Jamie said many times before, this is all about momentum. So, uh, you betcha. Yeah. Yeah. Until uh, till next time, y'all. Um, peace and pot. Mm-hmm. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. listening to the cannabis agenda your weekly source for cannabis related news and informed discussion we podcast every week covering topics related to cannabis legalization medical marijuana and market information as always you can follow online with us at cannabisagenda.com Super News presents the Master Debaters. Tonight, Marijuana and Crystal Meth will Master Debate about drugs. Three, two, one, Master Debate! I guess I'll start by saying that I think there are good drugs and bad drugs, and it's time we started differentiating between the two. Exactly! We're good drugs, man! So, let's stop the insanity, you know, and finally legalize Crystal Meth! That's a horrible idea. Well, no, but, but for medical reasons, of course. Medical meth? Yeah, man. If the doctors say it helps cure gout, then why not let Grandma gack out on some tweak, you know? Okay, no doctor has ever said that. So, did you hear that? Do you hear that right now? Oh, my God. What is that? What is that? Oh, God, wait, that's my heart. That's my heart. Wow, that's loud. You're made out of battery acid and drain cleaner. Hey, man, can I trust you? Because I think the government's against me. They should be. The CIA has an army of spies watching me 24-7. And that's why I hide in the bushes in front of my house every night with a steak knife. Folks, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Meth makes you paranoid and crazy, unlike pod, which is totally safe. Safe? That stuff takes away your motivation. I mean, do you even have a job, like me, breaking down boxes at the Safeway 17, 18 hours a day? No, you don't. (coughs) Okay, hold on one second. I need water. It's quick water. Come on, bro. Look, don't you want to have sex with strangers in truck stop bathrooms for money? How great does that sound? Oh, God, my tooth fell out. Don't you want to go to a fish concert? No! Nobody wants to go to a fish concert! No one wants to suck trucker dicks for money. And I thought you were cool. You were the gateway drug! Hey, come on. I'm still illegal on a federal level. See, okay, the states made me legal, but the federal government and the EPA were like... Wait, no. The DEA was... The CIA is behind everything! Federal state... Give him the Mason! And it's all connected, bro! And they're always watching us! So there ain't nothing we can do! Because they know everything! You get what I'm saying? Wait, what were we talking about? I need to borrow $25,000 from you or someone you know. Why do you... Can you make that happen? No, I absolutely not. I need you to burn down my sister-in-law's house tonight. What? Tonight. 
and it's got to be tonight. Why, why does it have to be tonight? And I can't explain anything else to you. Okay, I should just let you talk, because well, you're sort of look, digging your own grave Are here. you going to help me or not? I think I won. Yeah, pretty sure I won.